0: Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlson skulle alls bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores. Golf song. Yeah. everybody to another episode of the keeping Girls of fantasy hockey podcast the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who don't get why we still haven't gotten the call to come up with the default yahoo rankings because you know we do a much better job i'm your host Dylan jabrowski with me as always for a annual tradition episode where we're gonna break down the yahoo default rankings it's the fantasy hockey robot the poobah of prognostication the ipp mvp brian Com.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. And welcome to Yes, what is another perennial episode that we've been doing on Keeping Carlson since the very, very early days. And what I was sharing on our little YouTube pre-show for anyone who watches us there, or for anyone who doesn't watch us there, uh, I was talking about how it back when we first started doing this, it was very easy to just point and laugh at the Yahoo rankings and say, "Okay, this guy's wrong. This guy's wrong. This guy's wrong. Isn't Yahoo terrible? And it's like, yeah, they are. And we All sort of accept that now. And there's actually so many more resources today than there were back when we started the show, which is lovely. And that helps provide some extra context um, for other ADPs and draft rankings. So you're not just tethered to using Yahoo's. It's really great. Uh, and we were able to give you tips back then on how to modify your draft rankings, but it ended up just being so ridiculous. And Yahoo's remains ridiculous with their rankings. But today we are still going, like we're trending more lately in this annual episode we do on the Yahoo rankings to make it more constructive and actionable with the discussion on it. So we're not just going to point and laugh. We're going to bring up some players who are overrated or underrated. And beyond just saying that, we're going to share a little more context Not necessarily about why they should be, uh, like how they're so far away from where they should be, but exactly what kind of season we are expecting from them.
0: Yeah, we'll do our best to make this a really fun show. I should say the Yahoo rankings don't look so bad this year. I think it used to be a lot worse. I think they're really bad for goalies this year. We'll get into it. But again, the reason why we do this exercise is that a lot of people who draft on Yahoo, you know, uh, when anyone opens their draft room, this is the rankings that people see. And obviously the people listening to Keeping Carlson, you guys are probably going to be the experts who have your own rankings and you're not going to be going off the Yahoo default rankings. But some of your league mates might just be going in no prep at all, having a couple beers, open up the draft room, and then just sort of browse through the next top 10 or so guys on the list to decide who they're going to take next. So you need to know who are the players that are way too low that you want to make sure you know about to move up, who are the players that you want to avoid, the potential grenades. So yeah, we're going to break through it all. Today, there's like 1,500 players on this list. uh, So we'll pick out the ones that we think are especially interesting. Before we get into all that, of course, let's mention that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, number one fantasy hockey website in the world. They've got that amazing Dauber Hockey guide. If you haven't done your fantasy draft yet, then that means that it's not too late to go buy the Dauber Hockey Guide, get their projections, get all their write-ups. It's critical. Okay? So get that over at DauberHockey.com and I guess another little announcement is our own Fantasy League, the Keeping Carson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League. We've got 31 divisions filled. That's 434 participants. Uh, 14 teams per division. Uh, we're filling one final division and we actually have two spots left. So if you're listening to this early and you want to play in the couple, it may not be too late. If you sign up and it is too late, we'll just get you on our wait list and once the season starts, we always have teams that end up dropping off for whatever reason and so we'll be able to get you in probably if you sign up soon and you get to the top of the waitlist but we might even be able to get you into a draft that's starting like tomorrow you know so uh something to consider uh so that's uh kakupful.com to get all the information or tweet at us at keeping carlson we could give you all the info that you need But okay, uh, with that, Brian, I think we're ready to start this exercise. Though I know that you had a quick comment you wanted to make to start a little introduction because we finally have some news happening. There's actually been lines. I've dusted off the old uh, at game day lines on Twitter where we retweet all the line combinations. So it's been really fun, uh, you know, looking at what are the initial lines that teams are rolling out. And I guess there's pros and cons of that. Like you can get some information before your draft of which players might be in a position that you weren't expecting them to be in. And we'll obviously mention some of those on this show. But Brian, you have a little uh, PSA for people who maybe want to look too far into that stuff.
1: Yeah, and the the short version of the PSA is don't. By the way, Elon, you mentioned game day lines. We also have a new friend here uh, at Game Day News NHL, which is run by uh, primarily one of our super amazing listeners and patrons, Shams, uh, who is retweeting fantasy relevant news coming through. And the one and only retweet because he just started today, the one and only retweet up there right now is about how Cole Caulfield has left the Habs red versus white interest squad game warm ups before being pulled out for precautionary reasons he won't return and is listed day to day of course this is flying around hockey twitter right now and everyone's overreacting and that's the key they're overreacting this is uh, this is the time of year where you're not gonna have Cole Caulfield playing the red versus white intra-squad game if he even feels the the slightest discomfort during warmups, you're just gonna pull him. This is a time to be super cautious and make sure everything's right. Everyone's getting back into the swing of things. Take it slow. This might be something that wouldn't keep him out of a regular season game. So. I uh, Let's all just keep our heads. There was also, uh, like someone asked why Vince Dunn wasn't on the Seattle power play and the beat writer, Marisa Njemi, I think is how her name is pronounced, uh, responded that he wasn't dressed. Like he just wasn't playing in that game <laughs> where he wasn't the top power play quarterback. So again, just another reason why, uh, don't read too much into what's going on. Don't be like, where's this player? Oh no, Kale McCarr's wearing a non-contact jersey. Just play it cool, unless there's anything that is confirmed serious to think about don't treat it too seriously um and yeah i think you're going to be in better shape if you just keep a cool head and remember that players are going to take it slow and easy and no one's in any rush uh to to play in the warm-up or play in the intra-squad game if it's going to uh, increase the risk even uh, like minuscule uh risk of them missing the uh, opening night in october
0: Yeah, for sure. I think um, the other thing that you have to pay attention to is like these line combinations. Sometimes it's like really useful, right? You're going to see a line. Like when Carter Verhage was on the top line in Florida last year during training camp, anyone who caught that really reaped the rewards. He had this amazing season and we've gotten some Florida line combinations in training camp so far. Verhage, Barkov, and Sam Reinhart. So (laughs) Sam Reinhart right on the top line with Barkov. You might want to move him up. So you kind of have to decide for yourself how much you want to read into it. Because also these lines might not last all through training camp or like these lines also might change early into the season so we'll try to help we'll be detectives for you in this episode as we talk about some players I can let you know about some of the line combinations but obviously we don't know what's going to stick and what is just something the coach is trying out because that's the whole point of camp right to try out different things and see what works especially with new players on a team so okay those are all of our caveats but with that Brian let's just get started so I open up the list we're just going to kind of go down okay so number one is Connor McDavid I'm cool with that. I think Yahoo did a good job putting McDavid first. And we're just going to go down the list. And uh, we'll point out players that we think are either too high or too low as we go. And so I'm going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Man, there's one player that I can't believe hasn't been ranked yet. You get to number nine Austin Matthews, ranked ninth. I was shocked. How is he not, like, top four? He's the reigning Rocket Richard winner. He was the fifth in points last season. Hard to think of a reason not to have him. Like, I could find, like, McDavid, Dreisaitl, McKinnon. Okay, I could definitely get behind having him, you know, after those guys. But pretty much anyone else, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't have Austin Matthews ahead of them. I guess, like, you can say that he had that wrist surgery on August 13th, was told there'll be a six-week recovery. He was practicing on Friday, so we'll see. But, I mean, I can't imagine Yahoo's, like, bumping him down the ranking because of this surgery that we've been told he's going to be expected to play to start the season so i think i don't know if if you get to like if you have the ninth pick in your draft and matthews is still available especially if your league is like a multi-category league where there's like extra value for goals you know and shots you like that's a that's a steal
1: Goals are one of the hardest stats to accrue in fantasy hockey. They are rarely found easily on the waiver wire, which is what makes Austin Matthews so freaking valuable with what he does. And you could arguably have Austin Matthews in the top three of your drafts. I mean, he's certainly looking at the guys ranked ahead of him on Yahoo. Uh, Certainly uh, Matthews before Rantanen and Pasternak and Panarin and Vasilevsky and all the respect to these guys. But Matthews is still a league ahead. He's somewhere in that Early mix of McDavid and Drysidel, and I suppose Kucherov and McKinnon, but I could slide him right in the middle of that group and he'd look just fine. Austin Matthews paced, if anyone forgets, for 65 goals last season. And when he was doing it, we were talking about it and wondering can this continue, this torrid pace? One theory going into this season, of course, is that, well, he's not playing against the North Division and things might be a little tighter defensively. And sure, maybe there's some weight to that. But honestly, everything last year looked super sustainable. And fine, Austin Matthews was not shooting any more efficiently than he had at any other point in his career. Like 18.5% was his shooting percentage in all situations. That's for sure on Matthews' high end. But he's a super efficient converter who's likely to land anywhere between 15 or 20% in a given year. So 18.5%, fine. And that's actually even better Because Austin Matthews has now registered four or more shots per game for two straight seasons, which is one reason that he's on this other level of goal scoring now because he's always been a high end converter and he's added a shot per game. And uh, one of the reasons he's added that shot per game is he saw a little bump in deployment last season with a 30-second bump as uh, it seems like Leafs management was happy to not divide uh, the the ice time between the top two or three lines as evenly as it once was. So that's all good news for Austin Matthews, who is a top three and at worst top five pick in your fantasy drafts. I assume. Austin Matthews is going to win the Rocket Richard again this year. Elon, I'm curious to know if you think anybody can even challenge him. I'm looking at last year's stats. Matthews is in his own league in goals per 60 minutes, and he plays the most minutes of any of these other guys contending with him. He scores another half a goal per hour compared to goal scorers like Ovechkin and Kaprizov and McDavid, who are still top 10 in the league, but Matthews at number one is so far ahead of them. So if I had to pick someone to challenge Austin Matthews for the goal scoring title this year. Maybe I'd go, I don't know, it's crazy to say Alex Debrinkit, but I feel like Debrinkit is a legit challenger. Maybe Brad Marchand uh, Miko Rantanen, but aside from those guys, I don't know if anyone has a chance to catch him. Even with those guys, I'm not sure anyone has a chance to catch him this year or for the next couple.
0: I mean, just a couple of years ago, Pasternak was right up there, right? Like, I think last year, you know, he started late and then he had that injury or, or whatever. He just like sort of slowed down at the end of the season. I'm not going to read too much into that. So I think Pasta could do it. Also, I'm never going to count out Connor McDavid for any of these things, right? I think if you just looked at that last stretch of the season where he was exploding for like goals every single game, who knows if he can do it? But yeah, Matthews, I guess I agree that he's the front runner. So yeah, get him at nine if you can. All right. So let's keep going down this list here. You got Marchand Ovechkin, Makar, you know, Patrick Kane at 13 is a pretty good value, but you know, nothing, uh, Jumping out at me. Let's get to number 18, though. Uh, and that's a brayden point point. And I know a lot of people are thinking wait, don't you dare we love Braden Point. And hey, Brian and I love Braden Point too. He's good. But you know, I'm just looking at the numbers here. And at least in uh, our league, the Keep and Carlson Ultipater Fantasy League, where we make it like, you know, it's four and a half points for a goal, three points for an assist. You get 0.5 for a shot. So like mainly it's goals and assists, but then you get some value for having a few other peripherals, including those shots. And Braden Point, like, wasn't that great? He, had, he ranked 53rd in a cupful scoring last year. He had 48 points in 56 games. It's a 70 point pace, only 131 shots. It's so 2.3 shots per game. That's pretty low for someone that you're taking in like the first or second round of your fantasy league of course uh he had that amazing playoffs like 23 points in 23 games i have a feeling if it wasn't for the playoffs point wouldn't be ranked as high this year on yahoo and you can make the argument that he might be even better next year because last year his most common line mates were palat and stamkos which is pretty great but you know not as good as kucherov and kucherov is back next year so point's gonna be able to play with kucherov all season just like he did all playoffs last year and he was a point per game guy in the playoffs with kucherov so i'm kind of curious brian like I, to me he seems low here like we did a bunch of mock drafts uh you know going into this uh draft season and Braden point was generally being taken like 26th in mock drafts and he's ranked again 18th on yahoo so you know I don't know, like not as, not 56th, right? So already the patrons that were doing these mock drafts were agreeing that he's going to be better than he was last year. But I don't know, 18 seems a little bit rich. I'm curious to know what you think.
1: 18 is agree. I that's high. That's high for Braden Point, even though he's a really good player. You mentioned that he was somewhere in the mid 50s in couple scoring last season. He was in the mid 50s in couple scoring the season before. Also, the season before that, of course, Braden Point was more successful. He had that 95 point season uh, in 2018-19, which we called unsustainable because of some crazy shooting numbers on the power play. He was scoring on 40% of his shots. And we were right about that. His his goal scoring went down but uh, I think to a reasonable level in 1920 and then it went down further in 2021, which I think he's going to bounce back from. I still think Breeden Point can be someone who's a point-per-game player. He can improve on last season's dip. Uh, And I think one of the reasons last season was harder for him is because he was playing with Stamkos instead of Kucherov for the first time in a few seasons. And I don't know if there was some adjustment period or they were figuring out what worked, but it just didn't seem to work as well as it did for Point with Stamkos versus Point with Kucherov. Uh, Like Stamkos is a super efficient shooter, right? But with Playing with Stamkos points a lower on ice shooting percentage than he generally does playing with Nikita Kucherov. So I still think Braden Point, especially reunited with Kucherov, I assume is going to be really valuable. He's actually been a top 30 pick in Cupful drafts this year, which sounds right to me. That's all positions. I think Braden Point is someone you still want to target in your first, say, three rounds. Um, but, uh, you know, first round, absolutely not. Second round, you're stretching it. And then third round is probably about right And anywhere after that. Huge bargain
0: yeah for sure so again we love point also like last year you could say that with with Kucherov out that top line with point and Stamkos I'm sure all the defense of the other teams were able to just focus right on that obviously Tampa is so successful and why they won the cup two years in a row is because when you have both Kucherov and Stamkos on separate lines it makes life really hard for the opposition so yeah it's going to be a great season for point but even if he's point per game he's probably not worth being ranked at 18 just because he doesn't take those shots uh okay then over at 20 like number 19 we've got Zibanejad I like that we've already talked a lot about how Zabanejad last year had that slow start and he had COVID before the season started and once I guess the effects of that wore off he was amazing so I'm not worried about him but then at number 20 I think this is also a little bit of a head scratch but again we're really high on the Yahoo rankings list and like I said it's not crazy this list but I do think this guy I'm surprised that he's so high and that's Andre Svechnikov uh so ranked number 20 uh just a couple spots above point last year in his cupful rank and again point was like <laughs> like 56 and Svechnikov yeah he had 42 points in 55 games not the most amazing season this is like around a 70-ish point point pace a little bit lower uh looking at the lines from camp and again like i said like we don't know if this is going to last or anything but so far we're looking at Aho, uh niederreiter and nichas as the top line and then trocek would with- Tevo, Taravainen, and They've been That's been the second line that Carolina's been rolling out, leaving Svechnikov to play with Jordan Stahl and Victor Fast. So, obviously, if that lasts, that's not great. So, right away, there's a red flag. And, you know, I don't see anyone from that top six. Again, Aho, Nino, Nichas, Trocheck, Ter- Teravainen, and Kakaniemi. I don't see any of them as, like, obvious drops. Like, you'd think maybe Kakaniemi, but they are paying $6 million for the guy, so maybe they're going to want to at least make it look like it was not completely out of spite to the Montreal Canadiens for why they paid for him. Uh, so, yeah, so- Svechnikov is only 21. Obviously, he could explode. He clearly has the talent, but seems like a reach. Like, we're going to talk next about Alex Barkov, who's number 24. Give me Barkov over Svechnikov every day of the week and twice on Sunday.
1: Three times on Sunday. How about that? Not to say Svechnikov is not worth a reasonably high pick. He was 21st in the kick full ADP last year. And uh, I think that was a product of everyone really hoping that he was ready to bust out and break out and take that huge leap forward. And you're getting in on the ground floor with Svechnikov and uh, that didn't end up happening. And now Svechnikov is actually going about 10 spots later in a cup full draft so far this year. So still a top 30 player, but people aren't as uh, wide eyed uh, about Svechnikov and his potential upside. And yeah, last year just was not as good as we'd hoped from Andrei Svechnikov, and it wasn't even as good as the year before last year. Compared to 2019-20, Svechnikov lost about a half point per hour in 2021, which translated to about 10 points over an 82-game season. Uh, he did get solid power play deployment, and he added 40 seconds of ice time total to his minutes, but Svechnikov lost a chunk. Like Where he lost those 10 points was in secondary assists at 5-on-5. That's how he got to that near 75-point pace in 19-20, and losing a bunch of those is what brought him down to the mid 60s in 2021 so what do we expect this year from Andrei Svechnikov well a step forward and he's back above 70 points right and of course there's that huge upside that still remains I'm still drafting him something where people were thinking of him last year maybe 20 is a little high because you might not have to reach because he's not so exciting you know there was like a hype Bump for Svechnikov last year. Everybody wants to be the first one to get a guy before he really takes off. And I don't think people feel exactly that way about him this year. But I still think there is that potential for Svechnikov to find a new level in his game. I think 21st overall or 20th overall is too high for Andrei Sveshnikov this year, but I'd be good to take him in the neighborhood of a 70, 75 point player with upside rather than just thinking, oh, Sveshnikov is now going to stay down in the mid 60s because that's what he did last year. And if he doesn't get those secondary assists back, I have some faith that Svenchikov is just going to get them naturally via growing as an NHLer, right? This is fourth NHL season, but Svechnikov is only 21 years old, so he still has not yet entered his prime. There's still improvements to come. I'm excited to see what happens. I think his upside is point per game, but I'm happy to draft him as a 70-75 point player, probably in the top
0: 30 wow so Brian you're not concerned at all about these line combinations like if he's going to be playing the season like I think he might be just a victim of Carolina being a deep team Uh, like I don't see why he won't they won't just stick with what they've been doing and have him with Stall and fast and like what can he do I don't to me there's risk it could happen but I'm not drafting him as like a 70 75 point player I'd rather just expect what he did last year and if I you know if he does better whatever I ended up with uh, the 70 75 point player that I drafted that I was more confident in
1: so he put up a 74 point pace in 2019-20 seeing just over 16 and a half minutes last year he saw a bump to 17 and a half minutes and of course didn't get as many points but i carolina has always rolled a bit of a top nine and svechnikov has found a way to thrive in that before he'll throw you know 20 power play points on the board and then that five on five production i think is going to be solid enough even in the minutes he had i almost think of him as As, uh, like, not quite, but maybe a Philip Forsberg type. Philip Forsberg uh, gets even fewer minutes to work with in Nashville uh, up until last year anyway. But if he got the minutes, he'd be amazing. But even without them, he's still a really relevant and quality player. So I am not, like, yeah, of course, the, the Carolina rolling that top nine puts a ceiling on just how high his potential is. But I, yeah, I'm not that scared off. So, I could understand if you wanted to say maybe draft him around a 70-point player is the advice to take from anybody who is worried about that top nine situation. But he's done it before in a top nine. He's been a 74-point player before. He's growing. He's still getting better. I still think it's reasonable to expect that he can hit that mark again.
0: I mean, it's possible, but I'm not taking that risk. Like, it's not only about the minutes. If, if he's playing with Fast and Jordan Stahl, like I want to, if I'm using a third or second round pick, I want a guy playing with Aho. Okay. But that's just me. Anyways, I, I uh, and of course that could change even during training camp. Yeah. Maybe watch the lines uh, during going, camp. You're going, you're going, did you listen to what I said at the start of the show? Yeah. But did you listen to what I said at the start of the show about Carter or Hage? So we'll <laughs> yeah. see. I mean, I'm just looking at it. Aho, Nino, Nichas, Trocek. Teravine and Kokaniemi, that could stick. Anyways, we'll see. I, I don't like taking big risks like that in drafts, but uh, go ahead. So, so uh, F- Svech, but remember that Svechnikov played with Aho and
1: Fast last season.
0: Yeah, Aho would be great. Give me Aho and, and I'm happy. And no Aho, with, not happy.
1: He played with Aho. He played half with Aho and half with Stahl the season mm-hmm. before. And that's the season where he had those 70 that 74-point pace. So he's done this before. He played with Stahl and Fogel for like 25 30 games and the rest of the time he's with Aho and Teravainen. So, so do you have g- the
0: data like how did he do with uh, Stahl and Fogel? oh okay yeah so i don't have that exact data with me. (laughs) that's what (laughs) matters to me but anyways look i think we've both made our points like i'm just saying that for a super high pick in my draft i want like a top line top power play guy like call me (laughs) old-fashioned yeah no
1: that's totally fair you want someone with guaranteed deployment another reason by the way to pick svechnikov uh like to, to prioritize him on your draft list as adam is pointing out in the chat he gets uh he averages more than two hits per game which is really great to get from a forward
0: yeah definitely but still like i said at the top and that you agreed even twice on sunday alex barkov at uh, 24th is a crazy ranking right like he was better than Braden Point and andre Sveshkov by like a significant margin last year 58 points in 50 games it's a 95 point pace 3.5 shots per game i remember when barkov broke into the league we were talking about him as like yeah he gets a lot of points but he barely shoots he's like totally changed it now he's like a volume shooter uh like i said he's been practicing with verhagi who was great with last year now sam reinhardt so even an upgrade on his linemates from last year he was playing with duclair like no shade against Duclair but Sam Reinhardt I think is a step above I think an argument can be made to take Barkov in the top 10 so 24 is nuts
1: Totally nuts! I was pumped to get Alex Barkov at twelve in my own full draft. I was really glad he was still available, and so the reason I have this Florida Panthers jersey behind me to record tonight. I've got my Panthers jersey, and I've got my Sens jersey to represent my first two full picks: Barkov and Brady Kachuk, who I got four picks later. Uh, but yeah, Barkov uh, anywhere outside the top ten is questionable. Anywhere outside the, t- the top fifteen. Extremely questionable. And could Cupful managers know, last year, Barkov was going on average 46th overall in our kick-up full drafts. This year, he's going on average 13th overall. Of course, last year, he was coming off what was a disappointing mid-70-point pace season, but he followed that up with an incredible season last year with another mid-90s point pace, making that the second time in the last three years that Barkov has reached that point. And I said this in our first audio almanac, Elon, and I still stand by it, that I still think Alex Barkov has got 100-point potential, and there's a chance he could see it this year. Uh, last year, Joel Quenville was new in town. We were going to see exactly how that impacted the Panthers, who he liked on the roster, who he didn't like on the roster all accounts seem to point to Quenville liking Alex Barkov. There were a lot of positive changes for Barkov, namely a bump in his power play time. He went from a 66% share that he'd been seeing for a couple years up to a 73% share on the power play. And then Barkov also seemed like he uh, either had permission to or was coached to shoot the puck like Barkov never had before. He added a shot per game and put up Uh, rates per hour. That nearly a 40% improvement on the year prior. So Barkov had an amazing season last year and a couple years back. These are not the fluke. The fluke was the mid-70-point season, and that's why Alex Barkov is a first-round pick. If you're drafting in a league where everyone's going by Yahoo ADP, you are laughing if you can get him a good deal in front of it
0: yeah definitely so that's an obvious one all right next up Brian. i think we could just like kind of do all the goalies in one go we just did a couple of weeks ago a whole episode where we talked about goalies we already gave our goalie tiers. you could go to keepingcarlson.com slash goalies to see our goalie tiers. there actually is one change i would make to them because of some training camp news and i'll mention it as we go through them here and you could tell me if you agree or disagree but i'm thinking brian i'm just going to read you the list of goalies according to yahoo's ranking and i'm just going to sort of point out the ones that look questionable to me and then at, at the end maybe then you could jump in or you could jump in part way through just put, put up your hand if you want to jump in because i'm just going to kind of zoom through this because i don't want to spend too much time on goalies but okay so they've got Vass first obviously lenner camper hellebuck no complaints just York and sure frederick anderson in at seventh in for goalie no sixth for goalies that's way too high right for a guy who's been so terrible recently i don't know and that would be crazy to take him ahead of the guys who are next uh varlamov flurry brian did you want to comment about frederick anderson i don't want to hate on anderson i know carolina is a good team but man like that's a risky pick to take him as the sixth goalie
1: Anderson's had a rough go lately, and because of that, I I definitely don't want to take him as a sixth goalie. I'm not going to totally destroy his value and think that maybe he can't play better. Remember, there was a lot of talk that Anderson was playing with some kind of injury, and that was contributing a lot to his struggles. And there's also a ton of pressure in Toronto. Not that there won't be in Carolina, but I think the change of scenery is going to be good for him. The only uh, the counterpoint to all of that is that even if Anderson does return to form in Carolina – They seem to, I think, and they still have the personnel, too, so long as Auntie Renta stays healthy, which I guess is a big ask. uh, But... Technically, at the start of the season, Carolina will have the personnel in the crease to still mostly split starts. And they also don't give up a lot of shots each game, which are both reasons to not love and any Carolina goalies fantasy value, even if they are really good. So, yes, all of these, Elon, are reasons to confirm your observation that uh, Freddie Anderson should not be a top six goalie in your fantasy leagues.
0: Yeah. Plus, you brought up that Antti Ranta like has those injury issues. Like, so does Frederick Anderson recently, right? Like, yeah. I, he's someone that I'd be worried about. I think I've mentioned on previous shows that I added Alex Lyon in my Dynasty League, who's their I guess third string goalie who will start in the minors because I feel like he's going to be getting some starts this year for sure. All right, so okay. After Anderson, they've got Varlamov, Flurry. Sure, not going to complain. Uh, Sorokin after Flurry. Okay, this, uh, that's pretty wild, right? But I guess, like, you have Varlamov, Sorokincher. I'd probably want to get a starter before these guys, uh, I guess, depending on your league stats. Carey Price, that seems very high. Tenth goalie, uh, I guess he had that really great playoffs. That's why he's there. Uh, Cam Talbot seems high. He's next. Samsonov. Okay, then Grubauer. I think Grubauer down, like after all those guys, could be a really good value pick. He's someone I would be bumping up, like ahead of Frederick Anderson. I'm curious to know what you think. Uh, I think that Seattle's going to be a really strong defensive team at the very least. And, like, I don't know. They, I think they might be actually a pretty decent team. They're in a good division. So I think Grubauer is a great value pick here. They've got Jack Campbell. I don't love that. You uh, see Saros. After all these guys, Saros would be like a top fiver for me after what he did last year. And he's a sure shot number one goalie. So there's a value pick. Petr Morazic is next. Give me a break. Okay, then next, Spencer Knight. So ahead... Okay, so let me tell you some of the guys that Spencer Knight is ahead of. We're talking ahead of Damko, ahead of Markstrom, like ahead of uh, Tristan Jari. This is a guy who is going to be a rookie. He's 20 years old. And there was just a tweet that I saw recently, which totally uh, changed my mind about this Florida goalie situation, at least to start. Because apparently, according to uh, by Tim Reynolds, uh, who's verified, for what it's worth, that Panther goalie update, Sergei Bobrovsky will have the workload in net, Joel Quenville said. Uh, So, according to Coach Quenville, his plan is to, you know, give Varley the starting job, and he wants Spencer Knight to, like, learn from him this year. And obviously, you know, best laid plans and all, like, he may want to do that, but if Bobrovsky is terrible, then he may have no choice than to put Spencer Knight in. But I think that Bobrovsky probably can hold his own he hasn't been as bad as you know i think like his contract is so high that people like, are going to assume he's been terrible because he definitely hasn't earned the money he's making but uh like he, i think that florida's like a really good team they could they have good defense i forget aaron Eckblad was injured for a lot last year like i just really think that this is going to be a strong team and i think bobrovsky going to be able to hold his own enough that like he won't have to like force quenville to change his plan so Whether you agree or not about Bobrovsky, that definitely makes Spencer Knight a risky pick here ahead of like all these guys that I said before. So Brian, I don't know if you want to comment, but if I were to make a change to our Schmore goalies board list right now, right now we had Spencer Knight, I think like in the same tier as Bobrovsky. At this point, I'd move him down I'd have Bobrovsky higher because give me the goalie that's going to play more.
1: Yes. So absolutely. I agree with you that 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 is one of the preseason tweets that I think we might be able to sink our teeth in. If a coach is expressing a preference or, or a plan right off the top about how they're going to manage their goalie workload, that's something that I don't think is going to be like, they've thought about that already. That's not based on something that happens in camp. Of course, things can change, change in camp, but I, it's safe to react somewhat to that pronouncement. Of course, there's, I'm going to throw two caveats at you about it. The first caveat is maybe uh, that's uh, the coaching staff's way to try and light a fire under Spencer Knight and be like, hey, right now you're on the wrong side of this. We want to see you earn it. And challenge him to step up. This feels like it would be a hockey coach motivational tactic, potentially. The second caveat is just because Bobrovsky has the job at the start. Bobrovsky has not shown himself to be someone who's great at holding on to a job, has he? Uh, going just uh, recently back as last year when he lost the job to Chris Reedger, despite having so many chances to hold it. So... All of that to say that, yeah, Spencer Knight takes a bit of a hit in value, but don't write him off completely. Don't leave him off your draft list. Don't punish him too hard for not being uh, the favored number one or 1A one piece. But it, it, it's an important piece of information that could totally mean nothing two weeks into the season, which is uh, how all preseason news works. I'll also comment, Elon, on you mentioned uh, Philip Grubauer is someone you like more than Freddie Anderson. I think... I agree. I mean, Grubauer could be in a timeshare uh, in Seattle the same way that Anderson is in a timeshare
0: in Carolina. Well, I don't think either of them are in a timeshare, but I definitely don't want to say, I definitely think Anderson is the for sure starter on Carolina, don't get me wrong there. And I yeah. think that I think that Grubauer, like he's, you know, the, yeah, they got Driedger, but then they signed Grubauer to a big, expensive, long contract. So I, and he had a great year last year. So I think he's the, you know, expected start. Maybe it's like 60-40. Like I'm not saying like volume, right. volume.
1: Yeah, so, the, so those are the parameters maybe I'd use. Like I wouldn't expect any of these guys to see a lot more or even 55 starts. So you're not going to see a huge games. You might not see a huge games played disparity between Anderson and Grubauer. Carolina is a better team, than Seattle, uh, but Philip grubauer might be a better goalie or more durable goalie. Our couple drafters so far this year are equally uh conflicted because they are being taken at about the same time in drafts. And Elon, I wonder how you feel about this after all you've said about Anderson. I went and looked up where he ranks. Like of course the sixth goalie off the board is too high, but he has been on average the thirteenth goalie off the board in the cup full so far he's like in this tier there's like a lump of guys within 12 picks of each other then seven or eight of these guys including grubauer and i'll also throw it out carter hart linus olmar kim talbot
0: carrie price how do you feel about anderson being in that territory i mean i guess this is similar to my this is like the elon rules for drafting which don't always work it's just how i like to play you know i don't take uh non top line, top power play guy early in my draft, Alex Veshnikov, and I generally don't draft a goalie who had an 895 save percentage last year and only played 24 games because he was injured for a lot of it. I'm not going to take that as my number one goalie, right? So Frederick Anderson has a lot of red flags for me. Sure, he could bounce back. He was also not that great in Toronto the year before. Before that, he was like a super steady as she goes goalie that gave you like a 917, 918 save percentage year in, year out in Toronto. So if he is still that guy, if that Frederick Anderson is still there, yeah, sign me up. But he could also just be like broken down and not as good so i'm not taking that risk with such a high goalie pick i'd be happy to get him as my second goalie but uh i would definitely rather have grubauer who's coming off an amazing career year and like obviously with goalies we never know so i just like to go with uh my gut here and frederick anderson scares me a lot more than grubauer at this point but yeah uh, all the power to the patrons who took the shot on anderson first i hope it works out for you
1: i'll agree with you that grubauer feels safer feels steadier than freddie anderson especially in the cupful where we don't have it's not a huge bonus for winning the game you get two points as a goalie for winning the game which is the equivalent of seven ish saves and so for that reason you know the carol the team difference doesn't come into play so much and yeah grubauer does just feel like someone i could count on a little better but we've seen him be on both sides of that coin over the last few years be super reliable and be super unreliable last we've most recently seen grubauer be reliable so let's hope that continues for him in seattle
0: yeah, he also had that great run in Washington. Like, I think overall, yeah, he's had a couple stumbling blocks. This is a great opportunity for Grubauer. And I do think, like I said, maybe it's like Seattle's not as good as Carolina. Though Carolina, like, I think they did, uh, they took a couple hits. And I think in nets might be, like, I think the problem with Carolina is that they're really good, except for their goaltending, which could end up, you know, messing things up for them. So we'll have to wait and see. All right, so Spencer Knight was there as the, what was it, 18th goalie or 17th goalie. So keeping down the list for Yahoo, we got some bonkers picks. in next, come on, he's the backup uh like so then mackenzie blackwood who right now was it confirmed yet i know the rumors were that he's the new jersey no, player not, it's not
1: confirmed right. so we're not gonna add to the speculation but that is the speculation
0: that yeah i don't even know if i got i spat it out but yeah that like he it's might good not to know. yeah yeah he might be the player who is rumored to not be vaccinated which like forgetting even about the fact that that means he's at a higher risk if if it's him right but the player who's not vaccinated is at a higher risk of getting COVID and bigger injury risk also just that player can't travel to Canada and loses a bunch of games so that's what's happening with Tyler Bertuzzi also so that would not be good
1: until we find out which devil it is are you knocking them all down your draft list
0: no well I saw some (laughs) sleuthing so for example Jack Hughes is roommates with Ty Smith and they wouldn't allow that if Jack if if Jack Hughes wasn't uh, vaccinated, and apparently we know that... Anyways, whatever, so I think we could, like, say those two for sure are vaccinated. So I feel like you could do some process of elimination there. There was also some interview, like, I think Dougie Hamilton had an interview saying that he thinks the players should get vaccinated. So, you know, if you read a little bit about it, you could start crossing some players off the list, and, uh, yeah. Right now, all signs are pointing to Blackwood, but we'll see. Uh, anyways, whatever. Even regardless, I still wouldn't be taking Blackwood ahead of the goalies that are next on the list. Binnington is next. Okay. Like, I and I'm the one who... I said on Schmorko's work that I'm not, like, super high on Binnington, but definitely he's better than, like, top 20. He's the starting goalie on St. Louis with no competition, and St. Louis is a good team. Then you've got Demko, who we had that whole argument about Binnington versus Demko. So, regardless, they're both way too low. Then you have Allmark. Then you have Bobrovsky, who might actually be a value pick based on what we talked about before. Okay, then, uh, so, right there. So, again, the value guys so far, I've said Binnington, Demko. Uh, we said Saros earlier on. Then we get a bunch of backups here. So Vanacek, Swayman could be good, but you never know uh, because Allmark's there. And Jelkovic, and Ettinger, Carter Hart way down Carter Hart and yeah he was terrible last year but unlike Frederick Anderson uh you know it wasn't because of injuries like Philly we, we've talked about this on Sport Goalies Borg so I guess I don't need to keep getting into the same thing over and over again that's good value of uh, Jacob Markstrom great value next as a starter on Calgary that's probably going to get a bunch of the games then Drieger Cal Peterson Cal Peterson's like so far down this list and we talked about how he's probably the starting goalie on a LA team that's probably going to be stronger so that's if you get Peterson as like your second or like third goalie like, you're killing it. So, right there. John Gibson is right there as well. Mers Lickens. These are starters. I just mentioned a bunch of backups. So, this is where Yahoo really just goes off the rails. Tristan Jari next. Uh, so then he's, you know, he's starter on Pittsburgh. Like, for me, like, starting goalies should be above backups. Unless we're, like, maybe talking about Sorokin or something like that. Okay. Then we've got Halak, Bishop, Corpusalo, Rask, Hudobin, uh, Murray. By the way, I understand hudobin like, uh, we just, he, he's like not getting drafted at all. I'm seeing like, he's just not a goalie that anyone's thinking about as of now. As far as I know, he's a starting goalie on Dallas. So there's somebody there. Probably want to at least draft him ahead of Yaroslav Halak or whoever's higher than him on Yahoo. Okay, then I scroll down, scroll down, scroll, 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 like 300. Okay, Pekka is there. The guy's retired. So that's an odd choice. After him is Jonathan Bernier. I think I'll take Bernier, who for you know, might potentially be playing all the Canada games for New Jersey if Blackwood isn't allowed to go. So I think I'd probably take him over retired Pekka Rinne. Uh, Then we've got Henrik Lundqvist. He's retired also, so you don't want him. Then you scroll, 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 scroll. Then we've got more starters. We've got Mike Smith. Okay, I think you want the starting goal. And Brian, again, like, I'm not disagreeing with you about what you said about Mike Smith on Schmore Yeah, he's, like, a shaky pick. Probably he's better than 370, which is where he's ranked on the uh, Yahoo list. Uh, then you have Aiden Hill, who's the starter on San Jose. So, again, like, who knows, but better than a retired Rene or Lundqvist. Uh, then Reimer's right after Hill, so you could choose your San Jose goalie. Tomás Grice is at 385, and he was, like, one of the best goalies in fantasy at the end of the last year. Probably not worth, like, the 385th pick. And then some other goalies that are way down the list. That will probably play next year. Uh, Craig Anderson, Uka, Pekka Lukanen. So, if you want to take a chance on a Buffalo goalie, not that I'd recommend it. Auntie Ranta, who Brian mentioned, Vladar, the backup on Calgary, Koranash or Kajanash, uh, Elliot Dell, Hutton. Carter Hutton, well past 500, and he's probably the starter on Arizona. So, if you're a league that just like really focuses on like saves, start. Not, I mean, I really have no faith in Carter Hutton, but again. He's a starting goalie. He probably should get drafted before a retired player. So, anyways, that's the goalies on Yahoo. It's pretty uh, bonkers and definitely make sure to grab those value guys.
1: There's the hottest take of the show, or the whole goalie run at least, that Carter Hutton is probably worth drafting ahead of a retired player. Yeah, all these, I'm not going to go through or pick through. The goalies are often the biggest mess. And actually, the funnest part for me going through the Yahoo draft rankings is always scrolling all the way down to the goalies to find the ones hidden. Cal Peterson, like you mentioned, is a real hidden gem down there, uh, to keep in mind for your leagues where people are just using the Yahoo ADP as one of their main sources. I also really like Elvis Merzlikens, who is down there too. I think he seems well, he seems really motivated to have a good year. He seems like, um like he's ready to go and I See, I checked Dom's sheet to see how many games he was projected for. Dom has a pretty even split between Merzlikens and Corpus But I think that would be assuming that they have similar talent level. And I really think Merzlikens is going to stand out and steal a bunch of starts. So he's someone I could see like, uh, like who could be in Cal Peterson territory. Yeah, Columbus isn't that good. But Merzlikens, when he's amazing, he's freaking amazing. And I still think he has that level in gear. So he's also somebody I'm looking at late in drafts. And yeah, whose ADP is going to let you be able. So look at Merzlikens late in drafts.
0: Yeah, to the Yahoo rankings, you mean, not the ADP? I haven't looked at the ADP itself. So, I, but obviously, some drafters are like using the rankings so that will probably translate to the ADP at least a little bit. Uh, I, I look at Merzlikian's kind of like a John Gibson, like not a great team. Uh, like he, I think he's going to get a lot of games. I agree with you on that, Brian. The question is, like, Columbus is like going to be worse than last year. Like, people need to brace themselves. When I talked to Alison Lucan, she was like, this is the rebuild. Like, they're not planning on doing well next year. They want to maybe get a good draft pick. So could be tough, but. Again, it could be good. It depends on if Merzlikens is capable of playing well even behind a team that doesn't have a lot of protection for him. So we'll we'll have to see. Okay, so uh, Brian, I guess we got a lot of players to go. We're now back to we've skipped through all the goalies now, so now we're at number 42 on the list, which is a player that I think is too high. Uh, before we get to that, you've been talking about a bunch of these average draft positions from our Cucupful drafts. The reason we're able to have this is we've been starting our Keeping Carson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League drafts super early. Before the season, it was like so easy to coordinate the Kakupful, because instead of having to figure out when everyone's available draft time was, we just used slow drafts, which is this really cool feature where you don't have to coordinate time zones or times just you start the draft and everyone has like you know eight hours whatever you set it to per pick and when i say you set it to that because it's a feature of fan tracks and so all of this was a prelude to say that uh once again this episode is uh sponsored in part by our friends at fan tracks and we want to mention that this slow draft functionality is unbelievable it saved us for the keeping carlson ultimate Patriot fantasy league it's so cool that you get to like it's also like so not only is it just convenient because you don't have to worry about scheduling it around people's times you could just let it how it works is then whenever it's your pick you get an email but like hey it's your pick and then you know in your league chat you can be like hey hey buddy uh time to pick whenever you're ready and it's like oh i'm at work for a couple hours i'll get it soon like all right take your time and then you know you can do this draft it's also just so fun that you know, just over a couple of weeks, it's like just an exciting couple weeks. Instead of you do your draft an hour, two hours, you're done. It's over. You're in draft mode. I mean, yeah, your significant other might be annoyed that you're like not paying any attention to them but, uh, and you're just like browsing your phone, looking at draft picks, but it's, it's a blast. And so that's just another great feature that Fantrax has that the other platforms don't. Uh, so Brian, yeah, I just love those slow drafts on Fantrax.
1: Me too. It's been really fun. And slow drafts also give you time to talk. I mean, draft day should be really fun and can be a really fun, intense moment. But why not stretch that draft day out to as long as you want? Like you said, Elon, we have managers all over the world. So being able to customize that draft pick timer so that everybody can have the same equal opportunity to make their pick is something huge that Fantrax offers us. Uh, If there's anything you're missing in your current fantasy league, whether it's slow draft or any other category, Fantrax likely has it. It is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry. It offers the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, your keeper, your redraft, even your best ball leagues. And Fantrax is free. It's easy to use. So feature rich. And if you're coming from another service, like if you've run your league on another platform for years... It's easy to switch. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues and customize according to whatever rules you had there if you need. And that's not the only reason you should switch to Fantrax. If you switch to Fantrax and sign up for free today, you'll be entered to win an official NHL signed Nathan freaking McKinnon jersey. All you need to do is go to Fantrax.com slash keeping and sign up today with Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Again, that's Fantrax.com keeping to sign up for the best fantasy hockey platform in the industry and to be entered in a draw to win that official nhl signed nathan mckinnon
0: jersey thanks again to Fantrax. Uh, like i said we've got a lot of players to get to we'll get to in just a sec you're listening to keeping carlson Okay, we are back, Brian. Let's get back on our journey of crawling through the Yahoo list. Uh, We're like 41 down at this point, but we've also knocked out all the goalies. And over at number 42, we've got Quinn Hughes, who's ranked as the 42nd player overall on the Yahoo rankings, but the fifth defenseman. I, again, this is kind of like uh, with Braden Point. Like I love Quinn Hughes, don't get me wrong, but that's way too high for a multi-category fantasy league. If we're talking a points-only league, sure. Give me Quinn Hughes as the fifth D. I could get behind that, but in the Kevin Carlson, all the Patriot fantasy league, uh, Hughes last season was behind uh, Mikhail Sergachev and Jake Muzzin in terms of fantasy points per game. But that was with a 60 point pace on the year. The problem is the dude doesn't shoot much. Only 1.8 shots per game last year. No hits to speak of hardly any blocks. Like there's just no peripherals at all. This is like the Henrik Sedin of defensemen here with Quinn Hughes. So if you're going to take him in a multi-category league as the fifth defenseman, I think you're leaving a lot of value on the table. Like, even if he gets up to seventy points, which I think he can, I think he can bounce back from last year. First of all, he needs to sign a contract, okay? And Elias Patterson needs to sign a contract. That'll help as well. But if those two things happen, I really think Quinn Hughes can be a seventy-point defenseman. But even if he does that, he's still not top five in a multi-category league. So yeah, I think that Yahoo has him way too high. Unless you're in a points-only league,
1: absolutely, Quinn Hughes. If it's not a points-only setup or a setup that really values assists above and beyond everything, an assists-only league perfect. Go ahead and draft him right up there with your vintage Joe Thornton. But Quinn Hughes is not somebody you should be looking at in a multi-category league that high. Elon, you mentioned Sergachev and Muzzin as guys that Quinn Hughes was better than last year. He was barely, with a 60-point pace last season, barely above replacement level in the Cup full. If you look at the guys who rank just ahead of him, you have, yes, yeah, Sergachev, Spurgeon, Ristolainen, Sam Girard. And just below him, Connor Murphy, Shea Weber, Goss Despair, Matt Grislyk, Miro Haskinen. So Quinn Hughes is not an elite company in fantasy hockey, even though he is an elite company with what he can do on the ice in real hockey. And this is one of those situations where you just really, really don't want to conflate the fantasy and real life impact of a player. So yeah, again, unless assists are prioritized, you should not be prioritizing uh, Quinn Hughes, even though I will say a couple of managers are still counting him pretty highly. He's still being drafted in the top 15 defensemen Ahead of guys that I like better, Uh, just just ahead of someone like Jeff Petrie or Thomas Shabbat or Alex Petrangelo, Morgan Riley, Neil Pionk, Charlie McAvoy. These are all guys that well, most of these are guys that you can count on for a nice peripheral floor, which is just not something you can get at all. From Quinn Hughes either points or he doesn't do anything he's kind of like uh, well you mentioned he's like the defense version of the Deans, which I love but he's also not that different from someone like Evgeny Kuznetsov that we're going to get to later on the show where if he doesn't score uh, that pick up that assist he's really just wasting a roster spot and there are many nights on which he doesn't pick up that assist
0: yeah by the way Kuznetsov we're gonna get to him because we haven't planned for the show or let's talk about him now he's ranked 54th on Yahoo which again I agree is way too high that's the 37th forward he's like you know definitely shouldn't be that high right now he's ahead on Yahoo ahead of like Barzal, Ehlers, Wheeler, Nilander, Forsberg yeah I take all those guys ahead of Kuznetsov to be fair though like he's not only assist he's not like Quinn Hughes like he didn't score like 20 plus goals in a whole bunch of seasons in a row and last year I'm writing it all off because of COVID like last season yeah he only pays for 58 points yeah, I think he had COVID twice <laughs> actually so like definitely to me that's a write-off uh, before that he had a 68 point pace before that he had a 78 point pace before that he had an 86 point pace so when you go in that direction it sounds good when you go the other direction it kind of sounds like he's tailing off like why did he go from 86 to 78 to 68 then to 58 last year but I, again I think last year's uh, pace was a bit of an aberration because of the health issues yeah less than two shots per game last season I think that was an aberration because of health issues so like I said I'm, I'm writing last season off also like Nicholas Backstrom is currently rehabbing his hip so who knows if he's going to be ready for the season and, and like at this point I would just that kuznetsov which he has gotten often but i think you know you'd assume he's gonna get the top deployment there were times where he was getting bumped off the top power play in washington obviously that's not gonna happen if backstrom isn't around so i like kuznetsov like i think he's a good like pick late like i got him right we're doing this draft for keeper league and i got him like super late and i was happy about it but yeah i wouldn't take him as the 37th forward ahead of these guys that just said ehlers barzal wheeler Nilander, and forsberg so kuznetsov's yeah Anyways, you get my point. Definitely overvalued on Yahoo, but not something to forget completely, in my opinion. Elon,
1: you definitely outlined well the reasons to be wary of Evgeny Kuznetsov uh, going back from that 86-point pace in 2017-18 since then to that 78-point pace to 68 points to 58 points last season. And I appreciate your optimism on Kuznetsov, but I will say that mirroring those falling point paces are his time on ice and power play time. He's gone from 19 minutes to 18 minutes to last season seeing just 16 and a half minutes a night, and his power play timeshare has gone from 74% to 61% to 55%. Now, all that said... There is the opportunity that Nicholas Backstrom aging provides Evgeny Kuznetsov. By the way, Kuznetsov is no spring chicken himself. This is going to be his age 29 season already. I still feel like he's a baby, but he's been in the league a long time. It just took him, uh, I mean, it didn't even take him a while to get going. He's been relevant for a while. It just, I guess, always sharing the top six with Backstrom hasn't let us ever feel like he's evolved into a full, number one centerman which I, I think kuznetsov is still capable of doing but i am definitely concerned by his declining point totals and his declining relevance in a league like the Cupful, where hey if you're not scoring you need to be shooting uh or you need to be uh, like getting some power play time to to help boost your numbers and uh, kuznetsov doesn't do much of that last year for the first time since 2014-15, Kuznetsov fell just a smidge below two shots per game, which I I hope he can get back, but I can't say for sure that he will. But Brian, again, like
0: I, I sorry, to interrupt. I I really want to write off last year with Kuznetsov. I know you keep on okay. bringing up like how he had low power play time last year and low ice time. Like okay, this
1: dude had COVID twice, so I'll <laughs> I'll give you that. Even with that. Uh, if we go back to two years ago and say, okay, we can expect Kuznetsov to be a 70-point player, which is still a departure from the 80, 85-point high-water mark that Kuznetsov has set. Uh going back a couple years, he was in the same league as uh guys like Kim Atkinson and William Carlson and Anthony Duclair, Victor Olifson. So guys who provided value, but not as much value as you'd expect from someone who scores 70 points. So I think that's just the caveat with Kuznetsov is go for it and hope he gets 70 points, especially if he gets to take on a bigger role because Nicholas Backstrom is getting older. But just know that it's almost like um like a Matt Barzell situation. Right. Where, uh, you know, you can expect a lot of points, but there's just not a lot that goes along with it. So, again, like Quinn Hughes, uh, if you're not getting a point, it feels like a kind of a waste of a roster spot. If you just one or two points or category numbers away from a win, because Netzov isn't someone you want to be leaning on in that moment
0: yeah definitely uh not someone who's going to give you like a ton of goals doesn't have like 30 plus goal upside i think i think he could be a salt like 20 goal guy he has a decent shooting percentage uh yeah it's too bad like yahoo's ruining this right like they have him way too high i see kuznetsov as like a good value pick but you know you're not gonna be able to get him as a good value pick if you're playing against noobs because they're gonna take him way too early so fine you're gonna have to let someone else get him but if you're playing with smart players i like him like way down the draft list if people are just basing it on like last year's stats because like i said i want to write off last year's stats Uh, another guy this i'm not even sure if this is a bad ranking or not brian so i want to get your opinion that's john so yahoo has him like pretty high they have him as a 34th forward ahead of kuznetsov and again ahead of these other guys that i was talking about uh who are really good he was like ranked as like the 56th forward in mock draft so yahoo has him like a little bit higher but i'm just curious to like what should we expect from this guy i've been looking at again grain of salt sure but in training camp so far calgary's been running lines of a top line of lindholm kachuk and blake coleman so by the way, you know, add Blake Coleman to your watch list for sure, if he's going to be playing with Lindholm and Kachuk. And then Goudreau, Monahan, and Monjapani, as I guess the second line. And remember, this isn't like the good old days where Monahan's amazing. Like, we'll see if Monahan could bounce back. But it, like, potentially, Goudreau's playing with a couple of like, really not relevant players in Monahan and Monjapani. I would definitely rather him playing with Lindholm and Kachuk, like he was for a good stretch last year. So yeah, last year, Goudreau's 70-point pace, uh, 48 points in 56 games, but only two shots per game. That was way down... He was actually awesome to start last season and awesome to end last season. He was above point per game in the first 14 games and the last 14 games, but then he was like absolutely terrible in the middle, which is why he only ended up with that 70 point pace overall. So, Brian, what do you think? Like, you know, Yahoo has him a little bit higher than the patrons have been drafting him, but maybe this is one indication where Yahoo's onto something and like you want to maybe just forget about the middle of the last season and the fact that he was able to be so hot at the start and end means he still has it in him to be a star player.
1: Okay, so I would love to still believe that Johnny Gaudreau has star power in him, and we shouldn't write it off completely. But a lot of this is going to depend on the line combos, and you already mentioned what they looked like. But I'm look I'm going to look at the second half of last year instead of you know what we've seen in preseason or training camp so far, and I'm looking to see okay, well Johnny Gaudreau was playing for Daryl Sutter as of March of last season. What happened to his time on ice? Well, he lost a minute on average, of time on ice per night under Daryl Sutter. So that's not great. And that actually contributes to Gaudreau having lost 90 seconds at 5-on-5 total since he put up that near 100-point pace season back in 2018-19. As you mentioned, Elon Gaudreau's shot rates have also plummeted. He dropped to two shots per game, which is really disappointing, especially for someone who we've seen score 36 goals in his best season. You don't want to see someone like that shooting only twice per game. But I am really concerned concerned about his shot rates that are underneath those two shots per game. They dropped about 40% last year. That means Johnny Gaudreau is putting... 40% fewer pucks on net and even directing 40% fewer pucks towards the net than he has been throughout most of his career. That's a massive, massive drop. And that drop in shot rates was paired with a career high shooting percentage, which I think masked some of the bigger challenges that Gaudreau had last season. He still managed to pace for almost 25 goals last season even only shooting two shots per game. And if you look at his career uh, his career numbers for a shooting percentage, maybe that would have had him more in the 20-goal range than the 25-goal range. So I think he was able to make his season look better than it did because of that friendly shooting percentage. Of course, a lot of that friendly shooting percentage came from Goudreau. Well, not a lot, but a chunk came from his 22 points in 16 games to end the year where he still wasn't shooting, but he picked up a ton of assists. And Goudreau was able to do that thanks to playing with Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk. That's pretty much exactly when his huge run to end the year started where he was over a point per game player playing with Lindholm and Kachuk. That meant that he was away from Monaghan. And yeah, the question is, can that happen again? Can Goudreau play with Lindholm and Kachuk? Because he and Monaghan just have not really clicked at all the last couple seasons. So if Gaudreau Lynn Hillman, Kachuk stayed on the top line, that would leave Calgary with a second line, probably with some mix of Monahan, Manjapani, and Blake Coleman. Maybe Michael Backlund gets in there somewhere. So it wouldn't be great for anybody on line two or line three, but it would be great for Johnny Gaudreau. So if you are drafting Gaudreau, that's what you're hoping for. Of course, Yahoo has him too high. Uh, a couple drafters so far have him uh, around 80th overall which means he's about the 50th ranked forward, which seems fair to me. He's he's ranked ahead of Philip Forsberg and Sam Reinhart, which... That I find a little hard to swallow. Like, I'd rather take Forsberg and Reinhardt over Gaudreau, But I guess Gaudreau still has that super exciting upside. It's like, he's done it before. Can he do it again if he does play a full season with Kachuk and Lindholm? So that's what I'm looking for early on to see if that happens. If your draft is happening close enough to the season, that's what you're looking for. Those Calgary lines, what you think they're looking like opening night. If he's with Monaghan, I'd be disappointed. If he's with Lindholm and Kachuk, I'd be excited.
0: Yeah, definitely. So definitely he's ranked way too high on Yahoo, so don't fall for it. Uh Because, yes, unless you see those line combinations change. But right now, like I said, it's Blake Coleman getting that sweet spot with Lynn Holman Kachuk, at least according to what Daryl Sutter has been doing as of, like, Saturday, which is still, like, a, almost a month before the season. Okay, so uh, let's do a few defensemen now. We're still, like, pretty high up in the Yahoo list. So we're talking about a lot of players who we think are ranked too high. As we go down, we'll start finding those value picks that we're telling you, you should be taking maybe instead of the guys that are ranked too high. But here's one guy who I actually... S- think is ranked too low even though he's still at the top of our show and that's Dougie Hamilton he's ranked at 64 which makes him the 10th defenseman according to the cupful scoring last year he was a top three defenseman right like not only did he get a lot of points in Carolina but he's also so great for those peripherals a ton of shots on goal which I love to get from my defenseman also I gotta tell you like when he first moved to New Jersey I was like oh that might be a bit of a downgrade moving from Carolina to New Jersey the more I think about it I don't know maybe I'm just getting too hyped up here I, I like New Jersey and I think I fall for this every year I think it's like the last two seasons I've said that I'm I'm excited for new jersey first that year when they got pk Subban and like nikita gusev that obviously didn't work out then last year i also thought that they can be sneaky good because they got i don't even know andreas Janssen. and i thought that like jack hughes would anyway didn't work out as well as i hope i think this might be the year where new jersey is a really good team like i'm looking at these lines they've been rolling out so far in practice uh you know, hughes centering tatar and sharon Govich. so tatar there. a big injection of goal-scoring talents to that top line uh then you've got he with bratt and Andreas Jonsson. then you've got zaka wood and quokanen like also holtz and mercer have been there at camp either of them could crack the lineup potentially be a calder candidate so i just think this team overall is really stacked and of course the main reason is they have dougie hamilton who's like a really good defenseman so i think he's gonna have people to play with i think that he's you know already shown that he's really great for the peripherals so we just have to see if it could all come together and you know, work out well in New Jersey. Like, yeah, maybe I don't think he's gonna be top three, or I wouldn't draft him necessarily as top three. I wouldn't be too afraid to. But I really doubt he's top ten. Like I'd for sure have Hamilton ahead of like Petrangelo, McAvoy, Morgan Riley, who are all ahead of him in the Yahoo rankings. Uh, you know, so it's a slam dunk pick. If Dougie Hamilton's still available and nine defensemen are off the board, you have to take him. Don't even think about it.
1: For sure. If Dougie Hamilton's still available and there are four defensemen off the board, you also shouldn't think about it. I see Dougie Hamilton being in the same league as maybe three other defensemen at the top of your draft, or what should be your draft list this year, with Kale McCarr, who may even be ahead of above the rest, Dougie Hamilton, and then John Carlson and Victor Hedman. I think all of those guys, I'd be really super happy with being my number one defenseman. The only reason, and I I had Dougie Hamilton on my team last season. I really enjoyed him for most of it. There were a couple cold spells at inopportune times, but he's great. He was able to be, you know, 65, 70 point defenseman in Carolina, three and a half shots per game, huge power play deployment and huge power play contributions. That was all fantastic. My only concern is going over to New Jersey. It's not necessarily that they're uh, less offensively inclined which may or may not be true i just worry about the new team effect and we talk all the time about, well, P.K. Subban is the number one example, but even looking at a guy like Tori Krug last season, who he and the Bruins were like a match made in heaven for each other, and then Tori Krug moved to St. Louis, and they still haven't fully worked out how to get along, and how St. Louis can get the most out of Krug, and how Krug can get the most out of St. Louis, and that's the only reason I've been a little gun shy on drafting Dougie Hamilton in my own drafts so far this season, why I think I would prefer Makar, Hedman, Carlson, before Dougie Hamilton, but Dougie Hamilton might have bigger upside than anybody not named Kale McCarr this season. So that's a reason to be high on Dougie Hamilton and certainly
0: higher on him than Yahoo's
1: preseason rankings are
0: yeah definitely like also don't forget at least with Hamilton yeah it's the new team effect but he's used to it right like he's already this is his fourth team now he went to Calgary and he was good he went to Carolina and he's good so maybe he has that skill of being able to adapt quickly to a new situation both in Calgary and Carolina he wasn't the top power play guy when he came in he kind of had to earn it from someone else I assume in New Jersey that'd be crazy I guess it's like nothing's impossible right they could give it to ty smith who's also like a really good prospect and bump hamilton to the second power play i'd obviously be very disappointed if that happens because i drafted him in that keeper league that we're in
1: i think all of new jersey including uh, the front office that signed him would be incredibly disappointed if dougie hamilton was not playing on the top power play i don't think that's something we have to worry
0: about Yeah, you wouldn't think so. Okay, uh, so then another defenseman. This one is one that I think now is too high, and that's Miro Haskinen, who is at 78. So he's ranked as the 14th D- And I just don't know if that value is there. Like, I wonder if the people making this list just recently rewatched the playoffs from a couple years ago when Dallas went to the finals. Because, yeah, he had a great playoff run. But if you look at last year, he had 27 points in 55 games. Like, he had a ton of hype. Everyone was rushing for him. And he was basically like a 45-ish point defenseman, which is like decent for fantasy, but definitely not like a top 14 defenseman. Like, I could definitely see him improving. Like, he's kind of like, you know, like a Svechnikov type where like I'd be a little bit wary but I think he'll do better than he did last year I just don't know if he's going to be high enough to be worth drafting like at this point so especially with Klingberg still in the picture like we don't know exactly what his power play situation is going to be so yeah Haskinen one day should have a ton of value in fantasy I don't know if it's next year at this level
1: I don't even know if one day Haskinen should have a ton of value in fantasy. I know everyone, uh, he's just 22 years old, and he just turned 22 this past July. So he's really young, and he's already going into his fourth season in the NHL as a defenseman, which is a big deal. You don't usually have four seasons under your belt unless you're really good as a defenseman. And Mira Haskinen is really good, but I think people confuse his on-ice contributions as being all offensive. Minded, uh, he's not in the NHL. He hasn't been in the NHL this long because he's got great offense. He's there because he's got great defense and he's responsible. And yes, he can play both ways. However, Hayskine is not someone who I think has tremendous offensive upside. It kind of reminds me of the way people used to feel about Oliver Ekman Larson. And Ekman Larson, of course, had that one huge season, then everyone expected a lot more out of him. But generally. Ekman Larson was overrated as being anything more than a 40-45 point defenseman. Yes, he saw top power play deployment. Yes, he saw 24 minutes a night, 25 minutes a night even, just like in but still wasn't enough opportunity for him to really cash in more than those 40 or 45 points. And I think Haskinen is probably even better defensively than Ekman Larson. And I don't know that he's as good offensively as Ekman Larson. So we'll see who Haskinen becomes as he continues round to round into his full Full-scale NHL form, like I said, just 22, so there's still a year or two for him to show in some new sides and new gears of what he's able to accomplish, but I'd be pretty surprised if he did round into someone with tremendous fantasy value. I think 45 points
0: in good peripherals is going to be about where he lands. Like, I'm just curious. Like, uh, what are you basing that on? Like, wh- Like, I just assume, like, yeah, he's, like, you know, in a timeshare with Klingberg for the top power play. Like, everything I've heard is that he's, like, going to... You know, he has, like, a lot of... I know he's, like, really great defensively also. I just thought he's, like, a-, a headman. I thought he's just great at everything. Like, what makes you think... Like, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Like, I, I just want to see him get the opportunity, and I don't think he's going to get it this year. I think once Klingberg is gone... I don't know. But anyways, we, that's that's for a future discussion, I guess, because right now we're just focusing on next year. But I don't, I'm curious to know just quickly, like what makes you think that he might not ever have it in him and he's just like an Oliver Ekman Larson?
1: Yeah, I guess we just have read different things or formed different impressions of them. So I could ask you the same question, right, about why you think he's going to be this super sure. offensive guy. And you could, like, I, I, yeah, I don't have all the receipts in front of me of why I don't think he's going to be. I've just never seen him build as yeah he's he's got a lot of hallmarks of an offensive defense, and right he's smooth skating, great passer, he's mobile right he's under two hundred pounds, so he's not a big defensive dude, but I think. Yeah, I, I'm. We'll we'll see, Elon. I'm. I'm leaving the door open to him showing this offensive upside that we haven't seen already. But I just want to draw the line between Miro Heiskanen and someone like Rasmus Dahlin, who is like this purebred offensive guy who we know we can expect that upside. I mean, not right now in Buffalo, but his upside as a career defenseman is definitely in the 70 point range while Miro Haskin and I don't think like I'll, I'll extend to 50 Elon is thinking what Miro Heiskanen's uh, offensive upside is but I'm not going much beyond that and I'm curious if you're listening and you think uh uh Elon or I are, are more right than the other why don't you uh tweet at us at Keepin Carlson and let us know what your perception of Miro Heiskanen's offensive
0: upside is I can't wait for that uh, screenshot on Discord that you're going to send me (laughs) of that tweet being like, oh, check out what this person said that they agreed with me about Hayeskin. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, but definitely you talked about how he's not like a big guy. I would definitely take this big guy ahead of Miro and That's Darnell Nurse, who's ranked way down at 100th on the Yahoo list as the 19th defenseman. This is a guy who was like one of the top players in the cup last year. And yeah, I don't think he's going to necessarily keep that up. Like he had a very high shooting percentage, which led him to have like, you know, a ton of goals, like a 50 plus point pace. But even if he falls back, to being like the 40 point defenseman that he's been for a while in Edmonton, just those peripherals make him such a high-floor guy with obviously still that offensive potential, because at the end of the day, he's on the ice with uh, Connor McDavid. Sometimes players just give Connor McDavid the puck in their own end, and then McDavid goes in, <laughs> blasts through everyone, and scores a goal. So it's just like, Darn Darnolders plays a ton of minutes, so he's just going to get a ton of points for that and then I also don't want to take away from him like he's obviously got quite an offensive aptitude like we've seen him have these big seasons so yeah Nurse definitely don't consider him as good as he was last year but he definitely should be higher than the 19th defenseman so yeah definitely bring him up your draft list I'd say ahead of Miro Heiskanen, especially in a multi-category league
1: I agree with your bottom line Elon that you should bump Darnell Nurse well above the 110 mark on your draft list, as our Cacupul managers know, he's been he's been drafted in the top forty across the thirty Cacupul divisions that have drafted so far. So there's a lot of reasons to prioritize Darnell Nurse on your draft list. But offense, I disagree. It, it, that's not one of them. You said he's had these great offensive seasons. He's had this one offensive season, which I, I feel like we've been pretty thorough in explaining that it happened because of this. He shot over 10%, which is rare amongst even the best shooting defensemen and extremely rare for somebody whose career number has been closer to 4% shooting. That's why Darnell Nurse uh, was pacing for 20 goals this season. Uh, I think normally we could expect him to have 10. I think he'll keep the assists he picked up and he hopefully is back to being a 40-point guy with a great solid floor of preference. And an occasional turn on the top power play with Connor McDavid is also going to help him collect hopefully 10 power play points through the season. He eats a ton of minutes in Edmonton, which is why he's able to put up those great block and hits and shot numbers, which is great. I actually in my couple draft this year, I picked two guys as uh, my first defenseman, Darnell Nurse and Neil Pionk, who have this solid floor, and there could be that extra offensive juice they can add to those numbers, but they're guys I don't have to worry about if they go cold offensively or don't get the same offensive deployment that I would hope for from them, because they're giving me this floor, and this is against my usual defensive strategy. I like shooting for the moon with defensemen, but as I mentioned on the patron cast, I'm trying a few things differently this year, and it took a lot for me to draft Darnell Nurse. I was choosing between him, Chris Letang, and Seth Jones when my turn came up. And this was for my number one defenseman. And I ended up, uh, after fighting for so long against myself to not, I ended up going with Darnell Nurse, And I'm feeling pretty good about it at the end of the day because of this solid peripheral lore, which in many Yahoo formats should be enough reason for you to bump them up your draft list. One basic one. I don't think we never talk about plus minus on the show, Elon, but it is a category in standard Yahoo leagues plus 27 last year. And that's going to happen when you're playing 26 minutes a night and many of them with Connor McDavid.
0: Yeah, I will just say, though, like, I know you brought up the high shooting percentage as the reason why he got up to 20 goals, like, as a pace for last year. We should give him some credit, right? 2.8 shots per game last year is pretty amazing. Like, even if that's not going to give you 20 goals normally, that's still going to get you a really good number of goals. And that's a higher number of shots than a lot of defensemen in the league. So clearly there's some offense there. Maybe, like, the shot isn't as accurate <laughs> generally as it was last year. But I just don't want to take away from him his offensive abilities because the real defensive defensemen aren't shooting that much. Like, wait, I'll be very excited if Miro Heiskanen ever gets anywhere close yeah. to 2.8 shots per game.
1: I agree with you, but if we put him at 2.8 shots per game uh, and you apply the 5% shooting percentage, which I think might be even a touch generous for Darnell Nurse, you still end up with exactly what I said, which is 10 goals, maybe 11
0: yeah, I just wanted to uh, make sure that we give him his due and not so that he doesn't have the offensive inclination, which is what I pointed out, because usually you need to take shots to score goals, as Wayne Gretzky once said. Uh, okay, so let's keep going down the list. Here's a player, I don't even know if he's like ranked exactly correctly like or not. It's very tricky. Tyler Sagan's at 102.0 he was once a sure shot like high shooting like back in 2018-19 he had an 80 point pace with 4.1 shots per game if you could get him at 102 you're laughing then he had a really bad year in 2019 20 or bad at least for his standards then he was injured all last year according to the latest like he says he feels close to 100 percent. which on one hand i think like if you read it quickly you're like oh that's good he's basically 100 percent. but i was like why close like what's the problem like I, I, I don't know there's reasons to be a little bit concerned uh so Maybe he, like, actually fits right in here at 102, like, ahead of Blake Wheeler and Sean Couturier. Like, those are definitely safer guys, but obviously we know Sagan's upside. If you want to know the lines that Dallas has been running out, and again, this is super early, but so far we've been seeing Sagan with Radulov, another guy who, like, who who the heck knows what he's going to do. Sagan, Radulov, Kiviranta, as I think I'd look at that as, like, the second line with Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson as the top line, and then a third line of Gurianov, Ben, and Raffles. So, by the way, another, like, really deep team, kind of like Carolina, where you have three pretty solid lines. But uh, yeah, Sagan, I don't know. I just wanted to bring him up because I find him interesting. Like we've never seen Sagan ranked so low before at 102. I'm not sure if this is like a genius pick here, if you could get him or if it's like a really dumb pick here because I could really go either way.
1: Yeah, I think uh Yahoo did a great job of hedging on Tyler Sagan, who is a bit of a mystery going into the season, not just because of his health status, but because the last time he was on Dallas, uh, guys like Rupe Hins and Jason Robertson were not popping off the way they did last season. So how exactly does Tyler Sagan fit In this depth chart puzzle, now that everybody, and Radulov is healthy too, although Radulov was pretty healthy the last time Sagan was also healthy, uh, there's a lot of questions about how things shake out. I think... Elon, I, like, I don't love the prospect of him playing with Joel Kiviranta.
0: I mean, yeah, we'll see, like, Kiviranta right now getting this, like, sweet spot to try it out. We'll see if that's a placeholder yeah. for someone else. Maybe Gurion. I think, like, it would, we, we would be more excited to see Gurionov there instead of on the third line, but maybe, you know, Dallas wants to spread things out. I'd, I'm, I'm also concerned about him playing with Radulov. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. a, like I said, like, could be good, could be bad. It's really funny because there's a lot of guys that uh, would
1: be, you, I'd be concerned in Dallas as, as deep as they seem. There are only a couple guys who seem like really sure things, and I'd say that Jason Robertson, most of all, and probably Rupe Hintz are sure things Then you hope Radulov and Pavelski can be. There's just a lot, a lot of questions on this Dallas roster, including what kind of style of hockey they're going to play, because the last time that Tyler Sagan played nearly a full season, he played fewer than 20 minutes a night and only paced for 60 points and saw a decrease in the number of shots he took per night, so There's a lot of reasons to hope that Tyler Sang is just going to be back to his usual self, but I see some reasons to definitely at least temper any expectation you might have that he's going to return to those heights of 80 points, which are like his most recent high-water mark. I think if you draft him as, say, a 65-point player with upside, that's about where I want him going in my
0: draft. Yeah, it's just so hard. It's like uh, Frederick Anderson for me. Like, if he's the same player he was two years ago, it's a steal. But if he's the same player he was, like, the last time we saw him play... Eh, I don't know and then like you say Brian also you bring up a lot of situational differences in Dallas between when he was getting all those points so yeah it's a risky pick but could really pay off
1: it's almost like he's on a new team he hasn't changed teams but I feel like a lot has changed since he was last in the lineup and even when he was last in the lineup things were changing and we didn't understand how Dallas was using a lot of their players so there's a lot up in the air around him so there's some risk but the reward is also pretty good with Sagan
0: okay now I think here are some guys now we're getting into some players who I just think are way too low I think that's going to be pretty much for the rest of the show is like good picks players that if you're drafting against people that are just using the draft rankings they're not going to think to draft to these guys until it's way too late and you're going to be the smart one to go take them a much earlier so I'll do a couple at a time here so we've got Blake Wheeler at 105 and Sean Couturier at 113 Wheeler is like after Braden Shen, Cole Caulfield, Burakovsky like yeah those are like decent players but like Blake Wheeler is I think a decent step above like maybe he's not the 90 plus point guy from a few years ago but he's paced for 75 in each of his last two seasons also he has decent hits so even if he falls down to like a 70 point pace even if he continues to decline a little bit and he's still like a top liner on the team so i don't think he's going to decline too much uh that still puts him ahead of like burakovsky and and Braden Shen and, and even cole caulfield come on
1: yeah there's reasons to still like blake wheeler for your fantasy team but there are some red flags and i'll just name them really quickly one at a time first Blake Wheeler's 35 years old, so he's in the twilight of his career, which is showing he has had declining shot rates now for five consecutive seasons. Uh, someone who we used to be able to count on for three shots per game barely beat the two shot per game mark last season. Part of that is connected to the fact that he is time on ice was the lowest it's been in uh, basically ever since his third NHL season before he came to Winnipeg. He saw just over 18 minutes a night. We see his role decreasing both in the amount of minutes he plays and the amount of shots he takes. And also the amount of power play time he gets. He took a bit of a ding last season too, dropping from a 70% share to a 60% share. And also Elon, you mentioned his hits, but those have also, I mean, they're still coming. They're still okay. Uh, but I don't know how much longer we can count on them, especially as Wheeler ages. So a lot of red flags. But yes, he still belongs in like the 70 point area of your draft list. But those extra really exciting shots and power play points might not come the same way they used to.
0: Yeah, so not the upside of before, but still a really solid pick here. Definitely take him ahead of the guys that I mentioned. Uh, Shams in the chat here is asking, are there concerns for Ehlers to bump him off the first line? I mean, I guess it's possible. According to their scrimmage that they had on Saturday, (laughs) they were rolling Connor, Shifley, Wheeler, and then Ehlers with Dubois and Andrew Kopp, who, by the way, if that sticks... Like whatever, like Ehlers just got a ton of points last year from a similar spot. But Andrew Kopp being there is actually pretty interesting, right? Because like Paul Stasny was generally in the top six last year. And Andrew Kopp got there only because of injury, I think, for the most part. But if Andrew Kopp holds that spot, he's someone who's like way down that Yahoo list. I don't think he's been drafted in a lot of the leagues that I've seen. So he's definitely someone you want to keep your eye on. Anyways, okay, so uh, keeping on going here, uh, Sean Couturier. This guy's like pays for 75 points, like, almost every single season for the last like four seasons like he's amazing really reliable 2.7 shots per game I don't know why he's ranked like uh again below like a Shen, Caulfield, Burakovs not not to be mean to those guys those are just the three names closest to Wheeler and Couturier that I just think like are clearly closer to 60 point guys at best and not 70 point guys or even 70 plus like I take Couturier I think over Blake Wheeler he's been skating at practices with Giroux and Konechny so just like top line deployment as you'd expect Uh, so I just expect another 75-ish point pace season for Sean Couturier so this is fairly low and another guy I really like is Kevin Fiala who then falls even further down to 128 the 79th forward Fiala I feel like he's just getting totally dinged for a slow start last year like he was scoreless in his first four games even though he took 19 shots that's like a once in a lifetime thing normally if a player takes 19 shots at least one of them is going to go in uh he ended the season so on fire like I don't think people remember he had 29 points in his final 28 games he was getting points every single game that top power play with Caprizov was clicking I'm just telling you, this is a gut a little bit, but like Fiala is so good. I'd say take him over Jamie Benn at 121 or Voracek at 124 for sure. Or those guys I said before, like Fiala is going to definitely outproduce this 79th forward ranking. I'm so positive.
1: Easily. Well, he's been the 70th player off the board in a couple drafts, the 42nd forward off the board. And I think that's much more deserving right ahead of Blake Wheeler and Sean Couturier. These three guys you mentioned who are grouped together in the wrong place on Yahoo are being grouped in the right place together in our cupful drafts. Although I will say of those three, Wheeler is the one I'm least interested in. I can't remember if I ended my last piece on him by saying like 75 or 70 points, but there's some downside with Wheeler this year that I think you need to be cautious of. Uh, like he should be at the bottom of a tier where you're looking at 70 point players because there's not a, there's not unreasonable chance that he ends up with just 60 this season. And like I said, not a lot of shots to show for it, but Sean Couturier's The opposite. He's someone that I think you can pretty much set your watch to scoring 75 points. And if things go particularly well, there's upside for a few more. And I can say the same thing for Kevin Fiala. Those are both guys I feel like I can really count on. And uh like there's room to grow, like Couturier. Maybe uh, Philly stops running a one A B power play, and Couturier gets a bit more time there. Fiala got a 90 second bump in ice time from two seasons ago to this last one. Uh, so those those are two reasons to so like both of these guys more than Blake Wheeler, and they just seem a lot. They they seem totally dependable, and it's hard to find a dependable 70 point player down in the hundreds
0: in your Yahoo rankings yeah but I maybe have another one for you right now Vincent Trocek is ranked all the way down at 129 the 80th forward if he's the same Trocek as last year this is a crazy steal he had a 75 point pace like 2.6 shots per game a ton of hits like he was just amazing basically the Trocek from that season where he broke out on Florida of course I'd be afraid because we've seen before that Trocek lost that top power play on Florida and fell down to be closer to like a 55 point guy theoretically that could happen again in Carolina like Nietzsche can step up and get that spot Uh, there's a few other good players there so so obviously it's maybe not the safest pick, but if he could keep that deployment from last year, mwah, like that's a really smart pick. So like, I think people sometimes fade centers. And uh, so that's another reason why Trocek falls in drafts. But yeah, that's really great value, especially in your multi-category leagues.
1: You said if Trocek holds his deployment, then mwah, but we spent a few minutes a few weeks ago going back and forth about whether Trocek can keep his deployment. You were actually feeling like it's unlikely he could, but I guess you're just talking about upside here.
0: I didn't say it was unlikely. I said, it's not a sure thing. I think there's a difference there, right?
1: Like, uh, you seem to think that it was very likely that he was very likely to be bummed from my recollection of the conversation. Maybe I'm wrong. And like, so, so what's your, what's your stance? Like what, what, what percentage would you put your confidence that Church stays on the top power play?
0: i don't know maybe 60 percent like definitely not as confident as i would be about some other players and uh yeah we'll have to go back and listen to the old clips maybe if i'm editing here and i want to really do something fancy i could go and find the clip and pop it in which i'm, I'm pretty sure i'm not going to do but uh yeah i don't know what do you think brian like i mean last season we had uh jordan Stahl there a lot and then obviously aho uh and then tara vine was injured for a lot of the time and then they have martin hs who's this guy coming up so they do have a lot of options there and only four forward spots so i don't think it's a sure thing thing but he was great last year but he was great in florida and he got bumped that's what concerns me for sure i'll
1: just i'll repeat my take from before which is that he plays net front in carolina he plays it well natchez doesn't play net front in carolina thus i don't think that natchez
0: replaces Trocheck on the top power play but for oh, sure right. breaking news breaking news according to our chat we haven't verified this go hollywood is saying that according to a preseason game right now he's looking like he's bumped and natchez is up there
1: Okay. Well, I guess that settles it. Chocek off the top power play, bump him well, all the way down. don't make fun now. And- don't make fun now, Brian. I'm just saying. I said it was not a sure thing, and now we're seeing yeah. that it's clearly not. No, it, I... I'm not saying it's a sure thing either. I'm just, I'm expressing the reasons why I think, I mean, to be fair, I'm actually not drafting him as high as I would if he were on the top power play. Like, I I keep passing on him in my drafts because I am worried he loses that spot. I just want to make sure that we're not assuming it's a fait accompli at this point.
0: Yeah, of course. But uh, it's all when you're drafting, you have to play your your odds, right? Like you don't have sure things. Some players are more uh, reliable than others. So you want to maybe bump players down and not just expect the best case scenario for every single thing that could happen to them. Yeah. Okay. Oliver Bjorkstrand next. Uh, I want to bring him up because he's ranked all the way down at 150. That's a 93rd forward. This is a guy who had a 64 point pace last season, 2.6 shots per game. And interestingly, only six power play points and he wasn't on the top power play. And I would expect him to get on the top power play this year. Because Columbus is not a very strong team. According to my interview with Alison Lucan, she said that Bjorkstrand is the best player on the team. And so if he could, you know, get that spot, we have a new coach in the system, uh, Brad Larson, I believe is his name, instead of Tortorella. Uh, if you have like a line A, Bjorkstrand, Voracek, and like, I don't know, Nyquist, the top power play with Warensky like maybe they could finally unlock something maybe not I mean Columbus has been forever since they've gotten a lot of power play points but anyways only six power play points from Bjorkstrand last year and he still was a 64 point guy even if he just gets up to 10 we're all of a sudden looking at a 70 point guy assuming everything stays the same at even strength so anyways I regardless even if you want to like nitpick about yeah maybe he's like not as good blah 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 like I'd still take him over Pajot uh was ranked at 142 and Bjorkstrand's at 150 right so like amazing value there if he falls this far
1: Yeah, I'm liking Bjorkstrand a lot this year, actually. I think that he can be had for great value, especially compared to the year before when, you know, he was just breaking out. And it was almost like a Svechnikov situation where everyone was really uh, wanting to get in early. I see his ADP has fallen about a full round in a couple drafts this season compared to last season. And I understand why. And that is something i think you can take advantage of we can like you want to throw out the results from last year with kuznetsov i want to throw out the results last year with all of columbus it was a disaster of a year um his shot rates went down his power play time went down his power play points went down but amidst all that that bjorkstrand still paced for 64 points to me is really promising that I mean, that's a really nice floor to have. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to increase on that. Just one point of concern is you mentioned that top power play unit that he might land on. You didn't mention his centerman. So we just have to hope that one of Max Domi, Jack Rossovic, or Alexandre Texier, I think are probably the best candidates to be a solid centerman for Oliver Bjorkstrand, or maybe he'll just Kaprizov or Fiala his way to a really great season without one.
0: Yeah, uh, so currently in camp right now, the line has been Line, a, Sillinger, and Voracek. There's a guy named Cole Silinger who's been centering one of their top lines, and then bjork been playing with Roslovic and A Hoffman, someone named Hoffman who I don't know. So again, you go to game day line tweets, and we'll keep retweeting these Columbus lines. Obviously, it's still really early into camp, but uh, yeah, even if he doesn't get the top power play last year, he didn't have it, and he still had a pretty good year. Uh, So here's maybe even some more obvious options that are way too far down the list. You got Tyler Toffoli at 155 on Yahoo. This is a guy who had a 69 point pace last year in camp. He's playing exactly where he thought he would with Suzuki and Caulfield. I think you can lock that in that he's going to be a top line guy with playing with really great distributors who can score. You know, his 30 plus goal pace once again so steal right there guaranteed 96 forward for tyler to come on and then even lower than him the you got zach hyman at 161 we i talked about him with domus at length last week about this guy's upside he's already been practicing with mcdavid on the top line we'll see about the power play but either way we're getting to like ridiculous time now where we're talking about zach hyman at 96th
1: Zach Hyman, if you're using Dom's sheet, is one of these guys who just floats at the top of that sheet for rounds. And I I think there's really good value. I mean, you talked about his upside on that episode. And I am big on his upside, too. Last year, in a situation where, I mean, he had great line mates, but he had about 60 points and great peripherals. And I feel like he could do that again. Plus, maybe have a like permanent spot on a top power play unit that sees a 75% share or more of the power play time in Edmonton. So yeah, Zach Hyman could absolutely be worth uh, taking earlier than his Yahoo preseason ranking. And uh, I I don't know who, who are you more excited to have like between Hyman and Toffoli?
0: I think I'll go Hyman. Like Toffoli is a good player, but uh, Hyman is in the best spot maybe in the league (laughs) with McDavid. And he like has already shown he could be a 60 point guy. So maybe like Toffoli has, you know, like he showed last week he could be a 70-point guy, but Hyman just showed he was a 60-point guy. Uh, I think it's close, actually, but I would take Hyman. Uh, what do you think?
1: I think I would also take Hyman, just because I love that peripheral floor, although Toffoli has a great shot-taking floor. So th- they're both pretty quality guys with upside. I think Hyman's upside, if you count his peripherals, if they're worth something, like they are in the kick
0: I think his total upside is higher than Toffoli's, but they're they're pretty close. I agree. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you're getting a top line and potentially top power play player at like 155 plus in this Yahoo ranking, you're laughing in your draft. If people are taking the types of players that are up ahead, like I said, like a Jake G. Pajot, like, come on, how is he hired than Toffoli and Hyman? I don't know. Like, I just, I actually don't get like how they come up with this. Like, is it some like weak computer algorithm that they just sort of Get to spit out the rankings every year and they don't double check it? Are they hiring someone who just doesn't really know what they're doing? Like, I just, I, like Yahoo, like they have a very polished site. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be very curious to know if anyone knows who does this. This is the interview I'd want so badly to get the person who does the Yahoo rankings. Brian and I would do it for free. Honestly, we could just crowdsource this as the patrons and they'd give us a perfect ranking. We do a patron rankings every year uh, all throughout the summer and our ranking is much better than this. But, anyways, okay. So, here, let me rhyme off some more guys now that are really good value picks. We've got Dylan Larkin at 164. Yeah, he had a down year last year, but I'm very excited to have him back with Bertuzzi, at least for the non-Canadian games. And then we've got Verona. Uh, you got to expect at some point Detroit's going to start scoring some goals, and Larkin does have that great ceiling. And again, this is super late. Uh, right after Larkin is Connor Garland, who had that great breakout season last year. Now he goes to Vancouver, where I'd imagine he's going to be in the top six. I've been seeing some inklings of him maybe playing with Pedersen. Like, of course, we aren't able to see line combinations with Pedersen in the picture, because he's still not signed, which I really wish Vancouver can take care of really soon. But you know, worst case, he goes to the second line and plays with, like, Bo Horvat. So I think it's a really good spot for Connor Garland to at least be, like, a 60-ish point guy. 55-60, so great value. Keep going down the list. Jonathan Taves at 179. Everyone's just forgetting about Jonathan Taves. I don't see any reason why he can't be a 60-plus point guy. Again, maybe not, like, the closer to 80 like he was before he was injured. Again, this is like Tyler Sagan. Like, who is Jonathan Taves after missing a year? There's no way to know until we actually see him start playing games. I'll throw one more at you, Brian. Uh, Travis Konechny at 198. We're getting into, like, again, silly town here. Like, this is a guy who... Like, yeah, last year actually wasn't that great, but he has the upside. He's shown us to be a 70-plus point guy. He's going to get great deployment in Philly. So, yeah, here's... You know, these are all these guys. Just put those stars beside them, add them to your queues, make sure that you don't forget about them, and uh, Brian could respond, and then I'll throw a bunch more at you.
1: Yeah, these are guys that are being forgotten by Yahoo, but I bet... Taves and Konechny especially are also being forgotten by a lot of the people you're drafting with, even as they do scroll through the Yahoo rankings. I don't think those names necessarily jump off the page. You hope... Taves is back and healthy, and you hope Konechny can recover from what was just an awful year, but uh, Philly is one of these teams, we've talked about this a lot, that you really can right off their last season, and it's promising to see him start camp with Couture and Giroux. Not that that means anything long term, but yeah, I'd love for him to get back some of the minutes he lost last season, some of the power play time he lost last season, and of course that would lead to him getting some of the points back that he lost last season when he had that 76-point pace. I felt Konechny was putting it together in a pretty sustainable way so I I think it's absolutely within reach of course the downside is there that he lands around 55 points again but I like him there I like a healthy Taves there you're taking a bit of a risk Uh, and then Garland and Larkin of course also provide uh, more value
0: than where they're ranked by Yahoo okay now we're getting into the 200s these are guys that like if people just follow the yahoo rankings probably wouldn't even be drafted in most of your leagues and here are some players that are available past the 200 mark of this list a yanni gourd at 225 he's injured right now sure but if your league has ir spots don't let him go undrafted draft him stash him pick up another free agent he might be the top line center on seattle when he comes back so that's an easy one uh timo meyer at 226 logan couture 227 these are like the top players on the sharks and yeah the sharks aren't so amazing but the like, couture don't forget had that amazing start to last season 22 points in 25 games pacing for a career high then he totally disappeared in the second half uh Shang Peng says he thinks it was injury related Brian called that he was gonna slow down anyway so yeah maybe don't expect like whatever 75 point pace I'm not saying that but you know probably he could at least do what he was doing previously in his career like 60 65 point pace obviously someone worth drafting higher than 227 Timo Meyer who knows like what's gonna happen with evander Kane and his whole legal situation but if, if Kane's out that opens up potentially a top power play spot finally for for Timo Meyer, and he could potentially be one of the top scorers on this team uh, 240 we've got JVR that's fine. okay 239 uh, are <laughs> Andreas Athanasiu 240 J- James Van Riemsdyk like, come on uh, JVR 18 points in his first 13 games last year 28 points in his first 25 games like basically for half the season he was unstoppable he fell off at the end still ended with a 63 point pace I think that probably that averages out to around what he could do. Maybe a little bit lower. Uh, definitely not someone you want to leave undrafted. He's been playing with Frost and Farabee so far at camp. Uh, so I guess that's kind of like, on one hand, you could say that's like amazing because Frost and Farabee are these two really great prospects. Or you can say, oh, that's not that good because they're not ready yet. So obviously we'll have to see how those guys shake out. That's probably going to determine a lot about how good Philly is next year if their young players are re- ready to step up, including, of course, Carter Hart. But yeah, JVR is someone I definitely like at 240. And then another guy I already brought up, Tomas Chatar, top-line player on New Jersey, playing with Jack Hughes at 274? Come on! And Jesper brat by the way, at 322, so I guess Yahoo just doesn't like the Devils, because again, we t- already talked about Dougie Hamilton being too low for defensemen.
1: There must be something in their formula about how many goals a team scored last season or how offensive they looked, although the Devils were mid-pack-ish. Uh, but yeah, I expect we've talked a lot about Tatar. He's my pick to have a big breakout season and be with a team that appreciates and needs him. Uh So I'd I really like that to work. Of course, it's not a sure thing. And JVR, we talked about last week, is someone who could safe to place in the 55, 60-point range and with upside for a little bit more. Just keep in mind, as... Uh, It was just mentioned in the chat by Goa Hollywood that, uh, who makes the good point that Philly is looking to roll a balanced top nine this year, it looks like. So maybe no one is going to have that huge, huge upside. And maybe you ding everyone a couple points the same way you would, uh, Andre Svechnikov in Carolina.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at like Giroud, Couturier, Konechny, JVR, Frost, Farabee. And then again, I'm just looking at like some tweets by uh, Charlie O'Connor and Jordan Hall here from their practices. Uh, Cam Atkinson right now, not in a great spot, like playing with Broussard and Oscar Lindblom. If that holds, then yeah, we're looking at Cam Atkinson not being as exciting as he was in Columbus, where he was a top line player for most of his time there. Uh, all right, so let's keep going down. This Speaking of Columbus, Gustav Nyquist is a 304. So obviously Yahoo just completely forgot about him. I could see him being like a top line, top power play guy so we'll see what happens don't forget about him maybe like you don't need to draft him because i don't think any if, if you know if you get delayed in your draft and no one's taken him yet i'd imagine unless they listen to this show they just forgot about him just like yahoo but definitely put him on your watch list and see how he's getting deployed and how he's doing tyler bertuzzi at 306 Yeah, the vaccine thing is nuts, uh, but still likely to be a top line, top power play guy with Larkin. He's had a lot of chemistry with him in the past. Uh, I definitely am noticing a pattern here, which Shane brought up in the chat. It looks like a lot of these good value guys are players who missed time last year. So maybe Yahoo's algorithm is just, uh, they really ding players who haven't played. They're not looking at points per game. They're just looking at total points and so obviously Nyquist and Bertuzzi just fall off the list, apparently. Uh, Keeping going, uh, Jordan Cairo at 357 I don't know, like he's like a prospect that uh had a good run at the start of last year that kind of got bumped down the st louis lineup and i know this year like st louis is once again pretty stacked they've just brought in vucinievich tarasenko is back so maybe it's not going to be kairu's year but he's someone i'd have on my watch list i'll throw a couple more at you brian uh this is fun uh christian devort maybe one day i should try doing a podcast the whole time i just like name players for two hours i wonder if people would like that i don't even need a co-host
1: but. i like that this is a very much similar or reminiscent of the type of yahoo ratings episodes we used to do which i point out. Just pointed out at the start where we just name the player and say that's ridiculous which is I, this, that's the end I hope we've provided you with a lot of quality content and analysis along the way
0: yeah at this point it's just like take some notes of which players to you know put in your queue for your drafts okay so like I said Kairu, Dvorak, Charlie Coyle at 362 another guy you could draft and stash because he's injured right now but I think he's the front runner to be the second line center on Boston for whatever that's worth playing with Taylor Hall Jared McCann at 349 I love that Right? Like, in training camp so far, he's been on the top line in Seattle with Schwartz and Eberly. Dom Lucision pegged him to be a good breakout candidate. He already had a good breakout last year, pacing for almost 60 points over in Pittsburgh, and now he might be able to get that top deployment that he's never really seen in his career, so he could maybe be the next Marcia So, I think was the comparison that Dom threw out there. Uh, one more. Chandler Stevenson, a 374. He's at camp playing with Stone and Pacioretty, just like last year. How can you not be at least a 50-point guy if you're playing with Stone and Pacioretty?
1: If you're Chandler Stevenson. I mean, 50 points, you say at least 50 points, like there's a ton of upside for more. I'm not sure there is. Like he's been in this role for a little while now, about a season and a half. And I think you could hope for 55 points, but there's not as much upside as you'd hope for from someone who is playing with Stone and Patch already. So just keep that in mind. Keep your expectations tempered. But it is a, a pretty safe and nice place to be on the depth chart.
0: Yeah, he pays for 56 points last year. Maybe he takes a small hit, but I think he'll probably just be around the same. Be right around there, yeah. Yeah. Unless like Reddy takes a big hit as he's aging, but I really hope that doesn't happen because I picked Pacioretty pretty high in my keeper league. Uh, okay. Uh, a couple defensemen that are like crazy low. Ryan Pulak at 376. That's a 78th D. He's a good peripheral guy. Who knows what opportunities arise with Letty out of the picture. I'd expect like Noah Dobson or maybe even Eric Gustafsson to get power play one uh, opportunities ahead of Pulak, but he still pays for 42 points in 2019-20 like not being a top power play guy last year he totally disappeared and that's i guess why yahoo has bumped him all the way down but i think he's a good upside guy or even if not like a good peripheral guy you got connor murphy just for peripherals but at 539 that's how far down i am on the list at this point if you're in a multi-category you know about connor murphy because he was really valuable last year i don't expect anything to change so definitely pick up connor murphy actually i'm gonna point out that connor murphy was not really valuable
1: last year i Had him. I was actually really excited to have him on my cupful team, and he did not provide the value that I was used to seeing from Connor Murphy, which was a bummer. It wasn't like a huge drop from what he's done in previous years, but it was. uh, You know, when you're already sort of just barely above the replacement level line in the cupful, if you fall from that, then you are replacement level. So I, you know, Connor Murphy is uh, someone who's great for peripherals, especially if you need to load up at the last minute in a category league. But just keep in mind that you might not be able to expect quite as high peripherals uh, if he doesn't start throwing them up again the way he did a couple
0: seasons back. Yeah, he averaged around 3.5, a couple points per game last year, which is pretty like, I don't know, to me, it's kind of impressive considering like we give 0.5 for a shot, 0.5 for a block, 0.25 for a hit, and then you need a goal or an assist to get like an assist is worth three points. He was averaging over an assist per game, at least in terms of his total fantasy points. So, yeah, obviously, I'm saying like this is like if you just need a defenseman at the end of your draft and you're in kind of a deep league, go and grab Connor Murphy because he's totally off the list completely. Okay, 554. We've got Jesperi Kockaniemi. I brought him up before. Like, Carolina, I don't think, is paying him $6 million just for spite. He's been playing on the wing with Trocek and Tara Vine in the camp. We've never seen uh, Kockaniemi play not center, right? In Montreal, he's always been given this, like, kind of tough role. Now, maybe he's a little bit sheltered, like, where, you know, the center, like Trocek, can, you know, maybe take on more of the burden. And Kockaniemi could just, like, let his offensive side... Uh, shine a little bit so I'm curious to see what he'll be able to do clearly Caroline is giving him an opportunity at 554 you can't go wrong uh, how about another defenseman to throw at you Noah Hannafin is down at 608 I talked about him with Damusijan in the show last week and I also read a really interesting article about him on The Athletic like Noah Hannafin this is his first opportunity kind of like a Jared McCann He's going to be the top defenseman on the team. He's probably going to have the most minutes. It's never happened for him. It never happened for him in Carolina. Now he come, now he's in Calgary. And like Giordano's been at the whole time. Now Giordano's gone. Hanafit is going to get that shot finally to be the most relied upon defensive for ice time, potentially top power play time. So this is a guy at 608. I took him in a late round in my keeper league. We'll see what happens. He's still pretty young. He's only like 24 years old. He's a former fifth overall pick. He feels like he's been in the league forever, but yeah. Who knows what he can do? But again, I like someone who's never had an opportunity like they're going to get this year, especially at 608th. Let me know if you're in a league that drafts 608 players, because uh, that's a very deep league. I don't think that even exists. So he's probably going undrafted for most leagues.
1: If you're in a league deep enough to draft Hannafin, also just maybe add Yusuf Valamaki to your draft list. I know we don't expect much from him. But if you're in a deep enough league where Hannafin is already gone and you're looking for a big swing with a late pick, because even by the time Hannafin's taken, there aren't even many big peripheral contributors left. Why not? uh, Let's just remember
0: Yusuf Valamaki for a minute. Yeah. And I mean, there's Rasmus Anderson too. So we'll have to see. But it seemed like uh, Sutter didn't like uh, Anderson that much. And Dom said that he didn't know what he was doing on the ice last year, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, Hannafin is the Calgary defenseman I would be taking. Uh, okay, so let's do three more. Way down the list here. Uh, at 681, you've got Casey Middlestat, who's likely or maybe potentially going to be the top line center on Buffalo. I, though I've been seeing actually in practices, Dylan Cousins also been playing there with Olafson and Skinner. So obviously not the most upside, but someone you should at least have on your watch list. Casey Middlestad, he had a strong end to last season when he started getting a good role. How about Michael Bunting, way down at 751? I know Toronto has like a bunch of players that are going to be vying for top six spot. He uh, played with Tavares in an exhibition game on Saturday and scored a goal. So we'll see if maybe that gives him the inside track to hold that spot. Obviously, you're going to be watching the lines for Toronto. But if Michael Bunting ends up in that top six, playing either with you know Matthews or playing with Tavares, then he's worth a pick right at the end of your draft. And then like way, way down, the last player I'll bring up at 1473. You may not have even realized Yahoo goes this deep, but maybe take a shot on Dimitri Yaskin. We brought him up a few shows ago. He was breaking goal records in the KHL for the last couple of years. Now he comes to the NHL. Uh, And we'll see if he can keep up what he was doing in the KHL. Last time he was in the NHL, he wasn't too much of an impact player. He probably was still worth drafting in, you know, category leagues where hits were counted because he's always been good for hits. But if he has that goal scoring touch all of a sudden, who knows? He's definitely better than Jeffrey Veal, who is the player ranked right ahead of him at 1451. As
1: delicious as Jeffrey Veal sounds at 1451, Dmitry Yaskin is much more tantalizing. And Elon, thank you for reminding me about him. I just added him to my queue in a draft that's happening right now. And of course, Michael Bunting is a good name that's been on our radars for a little bit. His in-camp competition right now uh, are the likes of Nick Ritchie and Ilya and and maybe Josh Hosing and Andre Kasha, uh, but there's a there's a lot of players in the mix in Toronto, and we'll watch uh, the the herd get called one by one as we get closer to opening night. But Michael Bunting seems to be, I'd say, like one of the top three players to have a shot to land in the top six. Is 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 the third piece on the Tavares
0: or Matthews line? Yeah, there's even Nick Robertson. Yeah, it's like, like such a crowded competition. Nikita Kusev. Oh yeah, I would love that. As much as I'm like into bunting. It would be really cool if Gusev can do this. Like, he was such a stud in the KHL. We were talking about this on our Discord about, I guess, some players just the way that the game is played in Russia. It's a bigger ice surface. I guess some players just can't carry over what they're doing in the KHL over to the NHL. We'll see if that's the case with Yaskin. Unfortunately, it wasn't the case with uh, Nikita Gusev, but who knows? Maybe he gets a chance to be remade just like Galchenyuk was last year now that he's on the Leafs. But okay, Brian, so I think that's enough. This is probably one of the most dense episodes we've ever done of Keeping Carlson in terms of numbers of players discussed. But that is our walk through the yahoo rankings so once again maybe you're gonna have to go back listen to this episode again uh, or we'll you know look at the show notes where we'll list all the players that we discussed and yeah those are all players except for you know the players that we said were ranked too high those are all guys you want to make sure you don't forget about come draft day so yeah thank you so much for listening to this podcast we really hope that you've been enjoying our preseason content we've got another Uh, perennial show coming at you next week because we're going to be doing our yearly Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League Tier 1 auction draft it's going to be a crazy show where I'm not going to be on the air too much because I'm going to be drafting nervously so I've taken Brian uh, Thursday and Friday off next week to prep for my draft I've used vacation days to make sure I'm going to be ready to dominate this draft and so you're going to be doing the show with Michael Clifford Uh, it's going to be a great show so to make sure you get that and all the rest of our great preseason content I think I'm going to be doing a show with Louis Ezekiel a short Shifts bonus episode this week at some point. I think that's in the in the hopper to potentially talk about some more line combinations that are going on. So yeah, you want to make sure you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson, so please uh, go ahead and do that before the season starts. It's a great way to help support the show that doesn't cost you anything. Just actually subscribing to the show over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you could give us a five-star review wherever you're following us, that would be even greater. We definitely appreciate it. And then if you really want to support the show, you could join our great community of patrons. Uh, we are on our Discord all the time. We're popping right now. Now everyone's talking about their drafts, asking for advice. It's a really fun community, and we invite you to come join us. So uh, what is it today? Today is September 26th. If you want to be really frugal, you could even wait till October 1st and then sign up so you basically get a free trial. Up to you. We don't care. We just want to have you in our community. So check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron to get all the information about what we offer to the patrons of Keeping Carlson. But okay, with that, Brian, I think we're done for this show. So it was great talking to you. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again soon. But first, let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, this
1: episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Christopher, Josh, Tom, Derek, Rob, and Patty. Thank you so much. Logo art by brandonweave.com. Outro music from Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Ed and fan tracks
0: of course yes thank you so much brian uh, special note to the people who I've emailed to uh, join your Yahoo League uh, please do so for the Cucupful we're still waiting on a couple people there there's also a couple people who I've invited or I want to invite to your couple League you've been placed a division you signed up you're a patron but you still haven't gotten on Discord so please check your email to make sure that you got that uh, but yeah uh, like I said there might even still be a potential open spot for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League so just like mentioning that tweeted us if you want to get in we might be able to sneak you in to this last team Tier 7 Borowiecki but okay great job again and Brian, like I said, nice talking talk to you. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks to the live show viewers. This chat has been really fun. But okay, Brian, let's uh, say the catchphrase and get out of here. Sure. I'll say the
1: catchphrase. And when I say it, I mean it. Please do everything you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.